blackcrowncar.com. That's where to get your rides in the Seattle area. blackcrowncar.com. Download the app. Use it. They sponsor our show. It's awesome. All right. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is go to uh, nobody'snose.com and check out under the rants section. I just posted an article that I wrote called I Owned a Skateboard Shop in 1987, The History of Aggression Skates. It's uh, the story of well, exactly what it sounds like. Uh, check it out. A lot of cool pictures in there. And uh, yeah, we're going to get right into this episode. Here we go. Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of I've Known You Too Long. My guest today is someone I have known since the early 1990s. He has been in a number of bands that people know about. He was in Undertow. He was in Nine Iron Spitfire. He was in Kiss It Goodbye. He's playing music now. He's currently in Great Falls, and he's probably got other stuff going that I don't know about. Uh, I'd like to welcome Damian Johnson. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I've never pronounced the T correctly in your name, I don't think. It's Johnston, right? Johnston, yeah. Yeah. I always default to Johnson. Most, most people mispronounce the first name. It's like in their mind they're reading it or something. The first name? Yeah. I've had people who know me for like 20 years that pronounce my name Demian. Oh, because they read it online? Think, maybe they read it in their head. I don't know. Well, you were introduced to me as Damien. Yeah. That's like, well, that's my name. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although, and like we're about to get to, I don't really remember when we were introduced, but what we're going to do something different before we get started is you have listened to a few episodes and you had some things to add and some possible corrections. There was a couple things. And I wanted you to just go ahead and give it a shot right now, right off the, right off the start. All right. You met Jake. You guys were right, but you didn't have the whole show. You met Jake at the Redmond Annex, which is that weird little building, you know, off in the edge of Redmond. You're talking about Jake Snyder. Jake Snyder, yes. Okay. Uh, who was in Man Pillow. He was opening for Undertow and Link. Undertow and Link and Pillow like, at the Redmond Annex. Yeah. And I don't, we weren't sure that that was actually the very first meeting, but that that's, the, first, that's meeting, the but... first time I remember noting him and having a conversation and being aw- kind of aware. And it was right after that the stay route was yeah. going. So that's definitely the first time I met Jake. And I thought we couldn't figure out the exact show though. So that's good. Link, Undertow, Pillow. Yeah. There's something about that show. Like, I don't remember a lot of shows, but that for some reason, like seeing Pillow the first time, I think I only saw him a few times ever, but. It really, it was one of those things where like, oh, sh- you know, shit, these are people who are really good at doing something that I've never met before. But awesome. Like, and of course, you know, they've all gone on to be, well, I don't actually don't know what Cindy's up to, and but uh, I know they've all gone on to good things. Very cool. And what was the other thing? Oh, uh, the thing that Lex was describing that she said you were wearing is called a head gasket. You're t- <laughs> <laughs> you think when she said I had a thing on my head. Yeah, she said it was like not a bandana, but it's like a headband, but not a headband. But everyone that knows me knows it was a bandana. Yeah, it was a bandana. You know it's a bandana. When I met you, you had the bandana and the long black hair. But a lot of other people wore the head gaskets. Yes. You might have also. I did. Okay. So is that it? Is that the two things? There was something else, something Ron said. I can't remember what it was. Well, think about it while I throw this out there. So while you're listening to the Lex episode, you're you're thinking to yourself, it's head gasket. Yeah. Say head gasket. Yeah. Say head. You're, and you're just a little annoyed that no one came up with the proper yeah. term. I was I was waiting. I you know I have I have I work and my where I work right now I can have headphones in for big portions of the day, so I'll just listen to podcasts and nice. And I'm by myself, so I'll be, you know. What other podcasts do you listen to? Give them some free advertising. Uh, I listen to The Atheist Experience, which is a call-in show uh, out of Austin, Texas. Never heard of it. It's great. 
Yeah, it's cool. a lot of a lot of kooks. Um, it's super low rent because it is a public access show, so mm-hmm. it has that vibe. I listen to W2F Mark Maron's podcast. Oh yeah. Um, I listen to. How'd you feel about the Obama episode? It was good. Uh, it was really good. Yeah. How'd you feel about the freak out over him using the word? Oh, whatever. Absolutely stupid. Yeah. It's whatever. I mean, I did. We talked about how we might get into politics today. We did. He I'd... used the N word in the podcast. Mm-hmm. No one's pointing out that. Any person saying the sentence that he said could have said that sentence and it would have been fine. Yeah. It's a for instance. Yes. It's not using it. Right. I mean, I, I, I would still be nervous to use it into a public setting just because of the... Because you'd be like, oh, wait. I said that. I actually said that out loud. Yeah. It just, it, you know, it's uncomfortable. But it's, it, it's, it's a, it was a for instance. I think that's the best way I can mm-hmm. put it. It's, it's not a... Oh, wait, did I say that? I should have used a different word. It was using it very specifically to make the point you're trying to make about how it's used. Mm -hmm. But yeah, WTF is a great podcast. Yeah, it is great. I don't think they really need advertising from us. No, no. (laughs) You know, Mark's really trying to make something out of this, so I want to make sure he (laughs) gets his... Yeah, I'm worried about him. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. All right, one more. (laughs) Throw out one more. One more podcast. Uh, Oh, uh, 99% Invisible. That's another one I don't know. Oh, it's great. It's all design-related stuff. You love it. It's short stories about, you know, the sutro baths in San Francisco and, like, how they came to be and how they fell apart. And, you know, it's designed in a real broad philosophical sense and not so specific, like, here's what you do and here's, here's how much better See, cork it, it, used to be. It's like, not something that I would think to seek out, but it actually does sound like something that would be interesting to listen yeah, to. Yeah, a whole episode on a light bulb that's been on for, like, 100 years. It hasn't blown. blown uh, oh, that light bulb everyone's been talking about my yeah. whole life. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like hanging in a barn somewhere? Uh, I was in a firehouse. You know? Okay. Yeah. Firehouse, barn, whatever. Yeah, it goes to the whole story, like who made it and like how it came to be. And it's great stories. They're all, and they're really cool because they're like anywhere but usually between 15 to 20 minutes, which is just a great length for like walking to work or whatever. Like you can... Wait, so the whole podcast episode is that short? Mm-hmm. Some that, of them are longer. That's a podcast? Yeah, no, they're not. Like most podcasts, they're two hours long. <laughs> <laughs> This is a paltry 15 minutes. It's a snippet. Uh, that sounds great, actually. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's get into it here. Damien, I've known you too long. It has been officially too long. Oh, officially. Mm-hmm. It has been deemed so. <laughs> Do you know when we met? I don't. Okay, so let's paint the picture. I can, I can narrow it down to a, a window. Yeah, I've got a pretty big window as well. Wh- when did you join Undertow? I joined Undertow. I was still in high school. Mm-hmm. So it would have been in 1993, but I want to say I joined in 92, like during the fall of 92. My very first show with Undertow, I want to say it was in Vancouver. Like I think we went up to Canada. Like I had, I had played in Undertow. In 93? Well, we did those shows. The first shows was Strain ever when Kim Kinnikin was in Strain. Nappy Dugout. Nappy Dugout, yeah. Okay. And, the, and there was like a youth center or something too, like the night before, I want to say. Obviously, prior to the summer. Yeah, because, you know, I had, uh, it's weird. Like, I had I joined Undertow at a time when Undertow had kind of fallen apart a little bit. Yep. Like, um, Seth had started, like, Spanky had quit or got kicked out or something. He'd been the bass player. Yeah, James was the bass player at the time. And Seth started playing bass. And I went up with you guys to Bellingham to see Heroin. Undertow played with Heroin and Seth played bass. In Bellingham. Wait, 
So you came up with Undertow mm-hmm. to the heroin show at the Star Club on Cornwall Avenue in Bellingham. Okay, sure. And, you, and it was it was Undertow and heroin. Yeah, Undertow right. is a four piece with Seth playing bass and heroin. And you weren't playing in the band yet. Nope. Oh, that's when I met you then. Okay. Yep. There we go. Yeah, I, I remember. Pro- I think I probably met you on the sidewalk out in front. Probably you. You were stoked. Probably. <laughs> Maybe I was stoked. <laughs> I was sure stoked to see heroin that night. Yeah. What a great band. Aaron was leaning back and playing the drummer's drum kit behind him while he was playing. It was so fucking awesome. <laughs> it was an awful show, but they were rad. I don't remember anything but heroin it was, being great. It was just a lame place. Like, I have no memory of Undertow playing it. I remember that was also in the big time of hardcore where we were definitely policing people, like, enjoying themselves. <laughs> oh, you mean no dancing? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember there was a little bit of that going on that night, too. Oh. That was such a silly time. I may have blocked some of that. Yeah, it's probably better. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the deal. You were in Said Child mm-hmm. and you were in Undertow. Yes. And there was a little bit of competition for you because yes. you were playing bass in both bands. And I think both bands wanted you to be specifically in their band. Yeah. And you left with Undertow in the end of June to go on the tour. The U.S. tour it was like seven weeks, 93. Mm-hmm. It was long. The seven inch was in the process of coming out, but you did not play on. No, that was the demo. I was on. I think the I was in the artwork, but I wasn't. Yes, because you were currently in the band at the time. Mm-hmm. So for all the live shots that we had for it. Mm-hmm. So when we left on that tour, I knew you, but I didn't know you terribly well. Right. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, but well, I had I, well, I had been in Seattle for six months though, so we were probably seeing each other at shows. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd see you. I mean, yeah, I mean, we were certainly no matter what. I mean, you go out on a tour with someone for seven weeks. I mean. The degree in which you know them now is greater than right. you will have known probably most people in your life. So Okay. So there, there were always people coming to Kelly's garage, like to, to the shows that we do in Bellingham, that I just didn't meet. But if you were there with the Undertow guys at that heroin show, I feel like I feel like that was probably the time. I want to say I saw Bull Goose Looney in Kelly's garage. Really? Yeah. We didn't play in Kelly's garage. Really? I don't think so. I saw you play. Did you see a show that had Link and Strain in a in a barn? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Link and Strain in a barn. It was Link, Strain, Bull Goose Looney, I think a band called Outside from Bellingham. Yeah, maybe. So that's where you saw me. Okay. That's where, not me, but that's where you saw Bull Goose Looney. You are one of a rare group of people that <laughs> saw my band, Bull Goose Looney. <laughs> yeah, and I think the I borrowed your bass equipment for most of my life, that awesome Sun Coliseum. God, I wish I still had. I know, it was great. And it had, I think, a Bulgoose Looney sticker on its entire existence, I want to say, like right on the front. Probably. It was like yeah. a clear sticker that I stuck on there. And it... Yeah, I want to say like a like a note in a bottle or something. Who ended up it. with that? Someone knows where that ended up. Yeah, I don't know. Huh. I've I've sold so much cool equipment over my <laughs> life. Do you know where the actual base went? No. My my base? No, the one that I had at the time. Were you, were you just borrowing the head? Or were I was you just borrowing the head. Oh, okay. I had my own. I had my own sweet Yamaha base. <laughs> Burnt orange. Oh, the one that's on the cover of Apple Fence? Yeah. Yeah, it's in the it's underneath the house right now. My base is? Yeah, well you gave it to me years ago. Oh, okay. I was actually I had no idea where that went. It's it's maybe maybe we could get you to recreate the cover shot in the living room. Sure. <laughs> when we're done with the podcast. If that gets said out loud, pretty much has to happen. I guess so. Does that mean I get to dig around your basement? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's almost nothing else cool down there, but there is that base. It's been <laughs> I've been lugging that thing place to place for I only have two tuning pegs. Yeah. Oh, it's broken. A big all strain I don't, sticker on it, probably. There's no electronics in it. Oh, there isn't? Okay. I don't think so. It doesn't work. I didn't have it for a long time. Well, it, I, that's not true. When I was in, uh, when I lived in a Ballard house, one of the Ballard houses I lived in, I just left it there forever. Okay. And uh, 
Andrew Gormley, who's in Rorschach and stuff, he and because goodbye with me, he kind of took care of it. And I think he must have been the one to pull all the electronics out. He's probably making something weird out of it. We'll look. <laughs> we'll look at it after the after yeah. we're done recording. That'll be kind of fun. Nice to see that again. My mom bought that. She put it on layaway for like a year at Mills Music and Baffle. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, that was awfully nice of your mom. She's sweet. I love my mom. <laughs> okay, so so we meet during that time, and it's I moved to Seattle in the very end of '92. And over the next six months, a lot of stuff really come together. Mm-hmm. And I'm building up Excursion, and we're, there's all these great shows happening. And all that year led up to the really epic year of 1994 that gets discussed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a big year. So let's go back. How did, where do you come from? How did you get to being that kid? How far back do you want me to go? Let's go all the way back. First, well, I was going to say first memories, but where were you born? I was born in Stockton, California. Okay. And how long did you live there? Till I was a two or three one of those i have enough old enough that i have a few memories of it you do have just yeah like i remember playing at the park with my dad and the park had a big train like a big you know decommissioned locomotive in it yeah and playing on that i remember uh we had like a you know big covered swimming pool in the backyard i remember like not being allowed to go near that and uh i remember some like early nightmares from when i was a child you remember early nightmares that mm-hmm. you know happened while you were in California? In that house, because I remember the house. T- My, tell me about them, please. Well, I mean, they were not very, I mean, I was a child, not very complicated. I mean, the, you know, kids are, can be scared of pretty much anything. I, My dad had a, my where I slept was on the other side of my parents' room, and I'm doing a lot of hand motions here, because it's good radio. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad, on the back of my dad's door, he had his big robe, and my dad was like this you know, kind of like Gandalf hippie kind of guy. He's his, uh, his robe he wore out of the shower had this like giant cowl and, uh, he looked like he was in sun, you know, 1975. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he just kind of wandered around the house like that. I, I'm sure not intentionally to freak me out. I think he honestly was thought he was like just being cool. Right. So that robe would sit there hanging on the so back of the door. you thought there were some kind of cult members in your house? No, 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 nothing. Two or three. <laughs> I'm like, this is like Jonestown. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, it's, you know, to me, it was just this thing on the back of the door. And in my mind, it did start of, you know, moved around on its own and like been menacing to me. And because it, it had like kind of like a peak. Yeah, it had a the... shape to it. I mean, it's still the kind of. Were you totally freaked out by those little things in Phantasm? Phantasm, the movie? Yeah. With the ball? But the ball, but remember there's a little, the little dude, he shrinks the dead bodies down and then they're in these little cow, they look like Jawas kind of. Were you freaked out by Jawas? No, I wasn't freaked out by Jawas. I love Jawas. Okay. Or like <laughs> the atmosphere video by Joy Division? No. So the image, so n- none of that imagery throws you back to this. It was... No, no, I'm not, it's not something like I've, I didn't catalog that into like things to be afraid of for now on. When I see Stephen <laughs> Gregg, I'm not like, oh my God, guys, <laughs> just take off the cows. <laughs> No, I mean, it's, it's not something, it, it was, it was weird to me. I mean, it's probably my first, you know, as a child, my first sensation of pareidolia or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's weird. I don't know. I it just, uh, is that the term pareidolia? Pareidolia? Yeah. You, and uh, tell us about it. I don't actually that, know that, what that, pareidolia is. I think that's the thing. Like when people I think, thought maybe you mispr- mispronounced paranoia. No, no, no. That would, that would be cool. So um, I'm just letting it go. No, that's, I th- I'm, I could be wrong. I often am. Uh, but I think it's the thing, like, when people think they see, like, a, a ghost in a photograph or, you know, essentially as, you know, as the creatures we are, we're built to recognize patterns. Mm-hmm. And so when we think we see, like, you know, a figure in a photograph or, you know, hear a sound that sounds like a human voice, 
I believe that's the de- that's the definition. We can look this up later. I believe. That's oh yeah, we'll do it in the corrections if we have right. to. But you're Thank probably you. right. <laughs> but I believe that's the description for that process of pulling out patterns and having them have some sort of meaning to you. Like, so that's what you think ghost experiences are. Oh, you, we can get into this if you'd like. I listened to Jake's episode and I was like, I'm with Jake. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's, let's do it at the same it, time it, then. Le- I mean, less so. Let, maybe maybe to a lesser extent because, I mean, it doesn't. you don't have to like, pay taxes to believe in Sasquatch. But, so. <laughs> you don't have to pay taxes to believe in Sasquatch. <laughs> a, a friend of mine, Tom Doherty, said that once. He's like, you don't have to pay taxes to believe in it. It just makes the world kind of a cooler place. <laughs> and I, I also don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I, I think... Uh, Wait, think, you don't agree? You well, don't I, think it makes the world a cooler place to believe in Sasquatch? No, it certainly does. I, I it makes it a super cool place, <laughs> and it's you know it's fun to get. You know, I, I'm not like such a stickler for reality that I don't mind having a little fun with some stuff like that. But I mean, I think believing things that aren't true can be very uh, detrimental to people too, though. Like telling oh, people, sure. like praying instead of going to the doctor, or you know, a lot of God beliefs can lead people to vote for things that are you know mean. <laughs> shitty <laughs> right i mean heck right now you might think the whole country's falling apart yeah you might think that but you would be incorrect i <laughs> i agree with you one of the best comments i just read on my facebook was uh his protective hand is no longer on us get away from the cities the nukes are about to start raining down oh dear yeah. and it wasn't like it wasn't like someone we know right. joking with the right winger on their page. Yeah. It was just like a real comment. Then followed up by a whole bunch of people saying, yes, brother, thank you for speaking the truth. Stuff like that. You know, like in basketball games when like pro ball players will like fall down and pretend to be super hurt because someone like touched their forearm. I thought that was soccer. It's soccer too. Okay. Any, anytime there's a time to draw a foul, essentially. By the way, a whole bunch of people we know are going, football! Yeah, football. Football, football. Yeah, they're getting yeah. mad that I called it soccer. Sorry. Oh, yeah, whatever. They're, both terms are equally dumb. <laughs> American football should probably be called hand egg, though. <laughs> hand <laughs> But uh, I'd go for it. Let's play yeah. some hand egg. Yeah, it's it's cool, and you use your hands for something that looks like an egg. I mean, it's, you don't use your... Whatever. <laughs> I don't have to go on. <laughs> no, I like the way this is just kind of sprouting and going off in different directions yeah the, what i'm really into sports is the semantics of them <laughs> no it doesn't say like with conservative where i was going on this ridiculous tangent was that uh conservatives i think my, my some people in my family especially love to be like act like play the victim right now like they love to be the ones who are really being hurt by all of this victim status is a real persecution complex mm-hmm. i'm seeing it out there and there's no reasoning with it whatsoever it's it's a weird thing to be to be saying no no one's hurting you yeah and have people say yes they are <laughs> but the thing is it's not even that clear it's always like but what about this but what about, you know bringing up very strange points that don't like everyone's just sure that pedophilia is going to be legalized <laughs> and you can say over and over again that has nothing to do with the gay marriage argument because in pedophilia. One party is not of legal age and can't make legal decisions. Therefore, it could never be. Well, we thought this could never happen. It's like you're just going right around the real argument. You're going yeah, right around the re- the reason of the thing because you need to be able to say that for the way you feel. Yeah, no, absolutely. This, those sort of relationships that they try. My, I've, I have family. I've had these same conversations. Like I'll be bringing up something about gay marriage or whatever. And I've got a brother too that will say 
they'll immediately go to child molestation or something. I was like, well, what are you doing? Stop. That doesn't, it, it doesn't equate. He's like, well, how does it not equate? I was like, well, first of all, one is a relationship, a relationship built on, you know, agreement. And another one is a relationship built on power. I mean, you can't, that's what I, why it's weird for like, you know, that's why you can't, you know, have sex with your kids. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's one of the many reasons, but I mean, there's not a, one person is in charge. One person's in, one person is the, you know, the boss and it's wrong and it's, oh, it's just fucking horrible. When I think about my brothers and these conversations. Again, no, I, I, everybody has someone like this in their life. It yeah. seems like they, they're generally very sweet guys, but they just, their worldview is totally different than mine. Absolutely different. And I don't, to to try to like change an opinion, you'd have to first change their entire outlook on the the way they see the world, or change my outlook on how I see the world. And I I don't see it happening. Like it's not a simple fix. You can't use. It takes years. It takes years. It takes years in in real perspective and experience. And want and actually wanting to have perspective in your life, yeah. wanting to look at things from another point of view, which for me is important. I like try to like roll things around, look at all sides of an issue. You know, I'm constantly fighting on facebook about various mm-hmm. things you see it i'm sure yeah so i love it when these political things get kind of crazy on there but what i'm always hoping for most is that someone will come in with a really good argument i can't just refute right off the cuff like i want to have to yeah. sit with something that someone says that is counter to my point and go oh i didn't think of that and it's so rare you know i, I people don't believe me People yeah. think it's that I want that I'm I, that I like to just sit up there and act right or whatever. But no, I w- I really want a discussion. I really want like a a good, well thought out opposing point. Yeah, I mean, you're saying you you'll listen to like conservative talk radio. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's harder now because the the lengths that the reasonable people have to go to to keep their audience is um, it's especially when you've listened for a long time. Like I listened to Limbaugh for twenty years. It's not the same show anymore at all. Yeah. Um, Did you say you used to love it? No, no. I just said it's a lot of limbo. (laughs) It's a lot of limbo. Oh, on and off. But like whenever I had a job and pre-podcasting before there were a lot of podcasts out there, whenever I had a job when I'd have time where I could listen, I'd catch his show. Usually I I listened to it, you know, angrily. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had I've had a ton of screaming arguments with Limbaugh. He's never heard any of them, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but um, Medved is an example. Michael Medved up here and he's got a national show. Um it's it's kind of hard to listen to him because he is a very thoughtful, reasonable person who I believe now is way outside of his comfort zone. Hmm. Um, but he's he's got a you know, he's got he knows where his paycheck's coming from. Yeah, they, that they say that in the industry that like Bill O'Reilly is similar to that too. Like he's, I mean, he says some pretty fucking deplorable shit. So I'm not gonna defend the guy or anything, but I've just heard the same thing that he's uh he's not quite as insane as he seems. Although he seems pretty fucking crazy to me. <laughs> he, yeah, he just seems like an awful, like kind of an awful person. But but he doesn't seem like a true believer. Yeah, like a Hannity. I mean, they say that like John Stewart actually is like his best friend. Oh, really? Like they actually <laughs> dig each other in real life? Well, okay. So going back to Limbaugh, I listened to a lot of different radio guys that were that that all got kind of big around the same time. And you get into stuff like Stern and Lycus and mm-hmm. Limbaugh. Yeah. And those are names that got big kind of in the same time frames. And those guys used to say that, that you know, they they ran in circles. I mean, they, they would go to the same events and they kind yeah. of knew each other. And since they were having success, they'd talk to each other. And those guys would say that Limbaugh in the early days was just a really 
uh, uh, he, he had kind of exciting ideas about how to make a show work. And he was maybe, you know, maybe now he's totally drank his own Kool-Aid, but at the time he knew exactly what he was doing. Sure. And they kind of thought of him as more of a colleague and someone that, you know, was more kind of in line with them. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I have a theory that I hope is true. And then we're going to go back to what we were actually talking about. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I do. It's fine. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, what if Rush Limbaugh is the world's greatest long con? Like he's going to pull off the mask and it's Andy Kaufman. Well, uh, no, that's not what you're saying. Andy, I know. <laughs> Andy Kaufman is, oh no, I'm thinking of Bill, Bill Hicks. <laughs> Bill Hicks is actually the dude from Infowars, right? No, you're thinking of uh, Bill Hicks is the comedian who died. Bill in Hicks, no, yeah, no, and the, uh, oh, you're thinking Alex Bill Jones. Hicks. Bill Hicks is Alex Jones. Alex Jones doesn't exist prior to Bill Hicks's death. They have matching moles. Look it up online. Alex Jones is Bill Hicks. <laughs> this oh. isn't my theory. I didn't make this up. There are people out there that have like websites devoted to this. Oh, I'm sure. And Alex Jones is aware of the conspiracy. This is like a Clark Kent Superman kind of thing. Kind of. Well, I guess it's it's not like you know Clark Kent ceased to exist one day and then, I suppose. But Look, okay, I see. What I, you're I actually, it's one of those things where I wish it were true. So this is more like Oliver Stone in the movie Dave, where he's pointing out that Kevin Klein didn't see it. You never saw Dave? No, I tend to not go to movies that are named after me. Uh, that's why it took no. me a while to watch The Omen, actually. Or read the book I'm named after. There you go. Okay. <laughs> that did take me a little while, I suppose. <laughs> it is a little weird. I don't know. I don't know, Dave. But I, I'm still, wait. It's and the, I'm way not, outside of what? You're not missing a lot. No? President dies, looks exactly like oh, okay. some guy. He's got a doppelganger. A, yeah. Hilarity ensues. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> like life. Sigourney um, Weaver, they make a weird penis joke. There you go. Sigourney Weaver makes a weird penis joke? No, well, she's involved in one. Okay. She sees the doppelganger in the shower and like takes a second. Oh, because she knew what the original presidential well, dick looked like? Oh, I should mention that she was the first lady. And they were tricking her, too. She didn't know her husband was dead. Or her had a stroke or whatever it was. Oh, uh, okay. I'm doing a very <laughs> bad job of recapping this movie. <laughs> also, I have completely lost... No, Limbaugh's great long con. Yes. So here's the deal. What if Limbaugh, 25, 30 years ago, whatever, said, if I could become the number one conservative talk show host in the country with the, doing this thing that no one else is doing, I could make a shit ton of money and I could destroy the Republican party. Hmm. Because if you listen to him, no, here's the thing. If you listen to him, he's still, and within the last year, I've heard him say this. He still says that the problem that the only problem that the conservatives have is that they're not committing to their message, that the country is actually more conservative than anyone knows, and they need to stand by their guns and be even more conservative, even more anti-gay marriage, even more pro-life, even more. And he, he's like, he keeps attributing the failures of his of the party, of everything that's going on with the conservatives and the Tea Party thing, the Republican Party, all that. He keeps attributing that to not staying on message. Okay. And the more they follow him, the more damage and destruction it does to their brand. So is he actually like on the day the Republican party ceases to be, is he going to like, you know, pull off the mask, not, not pull off the mask, but literally be like, I can finally say liberal America. You're welcome. I did this for you. Now I'm going to go swim in my pool. I mean, people said that about Clint Eastwood's speech to the chair. I mean, it, Do you think that was real? I don't know. I watched it. It was super weird. Clint Eastwood's speech to the chair makes no sense. 
It didn't make any sense. If it, honestly, had Clint, if Clint Eastwood hadn't talked to the chair and you told me this, I would say like, well, Dave's definitely crazy. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> we certainly had some pretty insane conversations in the van on that seven week tour. This goes falls right into line. We did, but we'll get there. Clint Eastwood in the chair does kind of is a bit of a game changer. Um, right. I don't know. It gives I'd, so much ammo to the other side. That's that would be super. It, maybe it'd be super dangerous. I mean, it'd be hard to. It would be hard for someone doing that to not have moments of doubt being like, you know, I'm probably inciting some pretty vicious violence or at least violent thoughts. Like, well, I can't if imagine you, if you were going to do that, you'd have to commit completely to it. You'd have to be able to own the fact that your yeah. words might actually get some people killed. Yeah. No, you have you'd have to have that whole crack some eggs, make omelets or whatever. Do I think that Limbaugh's words have gotten people killed? Yeah. Yeah. Or the influence that he puts out there helping to create. I mean, because he's like the foundation of the modern conservative like talk. You know, yeah. Speaking movement. of, I mean, Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks was attacking him when he was alive 22 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's he wasn't even he was so new. It was when people still couldn't pronounce Rush's name correctly. Yeah. Limbaugh is how he says it. Limbaugh. Limbaugh. <laughs> awesome. Humbaugh. What's that? Like Humbaugh. Like Humbaugh. Yeah. Yes. I'll remember that. Fat and stuffed with pork. Mm-hmm. Sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I hope everyone's enjoying this. Let's get back to three-year-old <laughs> Damien leaving California. Jesus, that was a trip there. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, I moved uh, actually up to this neighborhood, uh, Mount Lake Terrace, Shoreline area from there. The, the neighborhood that we're recording in right now. That's true. When you were like three? Yeah, my dad. My parents got divorced. My mom was very young when she had me. Um, I think she was 18, maybe 19. And my dad was like 28. There was like a, a pretty big age difference between them. And it just didn't work out as things don't tend to work out that way. So um, we moved up here where my dad's parents lived. Spent some time at their place, which is in Granite Falls, Washington, which is like northeast, like up north, like past Everett. Okay. And then then came to uh, settle in Mount Lake Terrace for a little while before uh, my dad ended up getting a job at... A uh, place called well, Painfield, which is just outside of Everett, which is or maybe it's in Everett, but with aerospace industry. And met my stepmother. They got married. We moved to my stepmother's house, which is in Bothell. And then I spent most of the rest of my life, my child life, living in Bothell, and then spending the weekends with my mother in various places, generally the Kirkland area. Oh, so she moved up here too. Yeah, she moved up here. I mean, to be close to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she, you know, she was you know, 19, she's like, fuck it, whatever. Right. <laughs> or 21, 22, whatever she was, she didn't care. <laughs> you know, hang out with my kid, hang out in Seattle, whatever, doesn't matter. Okay. Were you uh, were you pretty stable in school? Did you go to the same schools all the way through? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, elementary school, I had the junior high thing, where 7th, 8th, and 9th was junior high. And then 10th, uh, 11th, 12th was high school. Okay, so I, that's different than how it was for me. That's okay. I think I had the same as maybe Jake had. Okay, sounds right. Um, yeah, I went to Canyon Creek Elementary, which is just in like Bothell Maltby area, which is where I grew up. And then Canyon Park Junior High, which is in Bothell and then Bothell High School finally. Okay. So you're a Bothell kid all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of shitty. I mean, it was cool when you're little cause there's so many woods, like tons of forts and. Oh, so you're a, and... you're a playing in the woods, dig, oh, yeah. digging holes, building forts. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever dig a hole and put sticks in the bottom thinking you're going to catch something? Make punji sticks. Oh yes. Did you sharpen them? Yeah, well, I mean, as much as a ten-year-old can, I suppose. That's that's dangerous, though. Course, well, Did anyone ever fall in the hole? N- no. Did I mean, anyone ever step in the hole? 
Yeah, and it, of course, didn't do anything. Fell right over. <laughs> kind of lucky, though. I know. We would be a terrible gorilla resistance. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, so when you saw Red Dawn. Oh, I was just hoping you were going to get to this. <laughs> did you kind of half hope that was going to happen? Because you knew you'd go to the woods. Every single day. Every day, I hope that happened. <laughs> One, no school. Two, sweet gorilla fighting in the woods. No, no three. That's it. One, <laughs> no, no three. Yeah. But what about when they line your parents up and they sing "God Bless America" and they machine gun them? Well, like undercover Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> Sometimes you got to break a few eggs. <laughs> All right, that's good. Okay, so you're not a city kid. You're you're a kind of a county kid, even though it's. Yeah, I'd say so. I I don't. I I certainly have grown to love my city life, but um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up. Do you have a BB gun? Uh, I did. I did have had a pretty dumb one, but I had a BB gun. Like a little Daisy Red Rider, one cock. Yep. Plank. Did I had the kind where you had to drop it down the barrel to load it. Oh, one at a time. Yeah. You didn't. You didn't have the thing open at no, the top my, of the barrel. My you... friend had that. That was much cooler. Wow, you had a one shot. It was. It was not great. Now, did you sh- try to shoot at wildlife or pets, or did you shoot at kids? <laughs> Neither. I think maybe there was maybe one or two times I was really little. I was like, I'm going to hit a bird or something. But of course, I never did. And I think if I had, I probably would just, I'd probably still be crying. <laughs> if you can't shoot a bird, you're going to have a hard time against the Soviets. Well, they're not people. <laughs> they're monsters coming for your family. <laughs> they, they've already gunned down my family. I've got nothing to lose <laughs> in this scenario in my head. No, come on. I've... And so you never got anything a little more powerful, something you could put pumps of air into? No. I. I've kind of always, gun. I've always sort of been a big sissy, like in all of my endeavors, and this is no, this is no difference. Okay, but you were, I like though that you were an outdoor kid. Did did other neighborhood kids? Do you guys go out and have like sword fights and stuff? Yeah, totally. Built forts. I was more like, I, honestly, I was, and I, this carries over. I was more like cooperative play. Like, hey, sure. let's all build something together. Or, hey, let's go to that weird abandoned house in the middle of the woods. We don't have no idea how it got built, and go scare the shit out of ourselves. Like. I was more into like, I don't know, like, you know, that kind of play. Like, I like to do shit, like build stuff together. Like, okay, you know, it wasn't like, like war games. There was a little bit of that. I mean, but it was more like, let's set the... up, let's set up like perimeters and places to guard, like for the imaginary people coming through. We didn't have, what to have was the most hurt you or anyone you knew got in the woods? Um, I got like a big rock dropped on my hand and I still have the scar from it right here where it pulled off the top of my finger. Oh. Like just little skeleton finger sticking out. And that's and that's so you saw bone? Yeah, like it was it was pretty rough. They had to put it back on and sew it and it never the fingernail never really quite went together right. Was this while building something or was it someone trying was, to crush you? No, we were building like a I think we had Star Wars figures. I think of this one we were actually building like a base. I I had the I remember I had the, like the troop transport from Empire Strikes Back. The one looks like a like a tadpole kind of, you know what I'm sure. talking about? Yeah. It's like a flying whale thing. Yeah, yeah. And I had I was trying to set that up on top of this rock, so I was like, let's move this rock, and I was at the bottom, and uh, they were at the top. It was a physics lesson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I got out of it was physics. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So yeah. that's the most injured? Yeah, I never really broke a bone or anything. No, nobody got impaled? No, I mean, we all fell out of trees, and I mean, some, I maybe... I think a kid, I, actually my friend, this kid Josh Cochran I grew up with, uh, I want to say I, he broke his arm like when we were riding bikes in this little bike track we had in the back. Um, I remember being really scared that he, like, 
like I remember thinking breaking your arm at like, well, that was it. You know, you had a right arm. Now you just got a <laughs> useless appendage. <laughs> it's going to take so long for it to heal. Yeah. Because time is forever back then. Time is forever. Well, yeah, you mark, you know, you mark time by events. And when you're little, every day is an event. Just like when we were first going to shows. I mean, there's a show like almost every day. So, of course, that period of time seems to last forever. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, show. If I'm not playing, I don't want to go. You know? It's hard sometimes. It is. But it's nice when you get out, though. And you go to a good show that surprises you and you haven't been for a while. It's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah I loved this. Oh, yeah. wait. I mean, I love this. Yeah. It, and it still makes me want to go. disappears. Exactly. It still want, it makes me still want to go play, you know? Nice. So you got along with kids pretty well? Yeah. Yeah. With definitely. other kids, you didn't have enemies? No. I mean, there was a couple bullies through school that, you know, either ended up thinking I was pretty cool or just left me alone. There was a kid, I think, in first grade. I remember I had a friend named Frankie Haas, um, H-A-A-S. He, I think he had some sort of relation to the plumbing supply place. Like all of the, at least in my mind, I built that up as being true. Like all the water fountains had that on the back of them. I remember being like, wow, this kid must be rich. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that elementary school money coming in. <laughs> um, and I remember he, some kid like punched me in the arm when I was like first grade or something. I probably cried. Probably cry, I cried all the time. <laughs> punch you in the arm I cried it's like a test punch yeah is this how you do this I think it was I think it was less being hurt and more just being like oh my god that guy doesn't want to be my friend right and I was pretty upset about it and this kid Frankie Haas was a little older than me but thought I was cool for some reason and uh at recess threw that kid off the top of the slide (laughs) like not a proportional response no no (laughs) a proportionate response he's now a cop oh really no I'm just I have no idea (laughs) he's he's not now a cop (laughs) No, I don't know. I don't know what any of these people... <laughs> Throwing someone off the top of the slide is a big... Di- now, did he throw them down the slide or right onto the rocks? No, onto the rocks. And they were rocks, right? Yeah, he didn't give them a push down the slide. He tossed them off the side. <laughs> like This oh. is for Damien. Yeah, I think he said that, too. Of course he did. Yeah. This is, I like this kid. He's fucking gangster. <laughs> did he... <laughs> so, <laughs> so you had a protector. Yeah, like... Like my bodyguard, like that movie. Yeah, with the song with Chevy Chase in the video. Does that have anything to do with the movie? <laughs> There's a song with Chevy Chase in the video? There's a Paul, Peter Gabriel song, I think, or Paul Simon song. From My Bodyguard? I don't think I have anything to do with the movie now that I'm saying it out loud. If You'll Be My Bodyguard. Yeah. That's, a, that's a Paul Simon song yeah. from the Graceland album. Oh, okay. And Chevy <laughs> Chase does the lyrics. Is, is he in the video? He's in the video. Okay. And Paul Simon's just sitting there, and then Paul Simon does the chorus. Okay. That's a song. Okay, this I'm is I'm talking completely... about the movie My Bodyguard. Wait, the Whitney Houston one? No. That's bodyguard. Oh. <laughs> That's the bodyguard. <laughs> My bodyguard is like an old like seventies film. It's got Matt Dillon in it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's got I... that guy Adam Baldwin, the actor who is on Firefly. I think it might be his first oh, movie. He went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Men's rights stuff or something. Yeah, he's fucked up. Yeah. Okay. So I, I actually res- said something to him on Twitter about how I couldn't follow him anymore because I love Firefly. Right. And he uh, he responded to me about he's noting my. Uh, my intolerance. And, you know, he probably did write it down like Damien Johnston. <laughs> Is he the guy that started Yes All Men or whatever? He did, he started something. He started one of the hashtags that's in that. I also did something to him on Twitter where I, I don't know why I did this, but I had asked because he was in, you know, um, he was in Full Metal Jacket as Animal Mother, another one of my favorite movies. And uh, he also uses the N-word, not unlike president obama in the movie yeah okay and i and uh i asked him 
what exactly it was that had to hang, like in quotes, and he posted a clip of him saying that from YouTube to me. And I was like, dude, no, I was fucking with you. That had to hang. Yeah. I mean, you say it. Okay. <laughs> oh. It's when they're, they're all fighting over the... Uh, so he was clarifying to you in current days racism. What he had, what his character had said. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, it was... You know, maybe someone was like, oh, I just had a quick question. Uh, in Full Metal Jacket, when you guys were fighting over the prostitute, what was it that had to hang? Was it Salami in the window? Like... Uh-uh. <laughs> I can't remember. I mean, you couldn't possibly think I was, I don't know. It wasn't clever. I wasn't being funny or clever. I was just, right. I don't know. I guess I was a little disappointed. You're messing with him. Yeah. Okay. So it's funny. Yeah. I didn't expect you to have had an actual experience with the guy in the movie that I was referencing your childhood slide tosser friend. To. Yeah. That was, but it's cool. That's, that's the way life works. This is really, yeah, we're really jumping around here. <laughs> I'll keep it kind of kind of on the rails a little you, bit you can edit it all you want <laughs> we'll come back to the rails oh no there's no I, I won't be like moving things around in order i'll just be editing out you know the noises make me sound somewhat comprehensible <laughs> that's all i ask <laughs> okay well you've listened to enough episodes you know i'm always trying to figure out where the events in people's early lives happened that mm-hmm. were that were influential and usually that's fighting and music a lot of times that's stuff that see, really yeah. really matters um it sounds like you didn't do a lot of fighting. No, I mean, I can tell you exactly how I got on this path. The um, the, the music path? Yeah, like how I got to the sitting right here today. I mean, I, I can remember the, the moment. How old were you? This would be seventh grade. It was where my life took a took a turn. Okay. Good turn. So it's a good turn. I agree. But let's, before we do that, did you listen to music in grade school? Not really. Not at all. Radio? No, no I mean, maybe it was on. But you it know, wasn't like, important to you? No, like if I was playing Transformers or something and I wanted, you know, some of that awesome music from the soundtrack, <laughs> that Peter Cetera or something. I can't remember it was on the Transformers soundtrack. From the movie? But you gotta fight. You know, that stuff. <laughs> when Optimus is opening the Prime Matrix or whatever. Is it Prime Matrix that it's called? I'm just looking at you. Okay, I don't remember. It's been a while. I saw it in the theater, though. Orson Welles is in it, man. I know, and there's <laughs> and there's actually dudes that are unhappy that I don't know the answer to this right now. <laughs> the the Is it the Prime Matrix? Because it, it just popped into my head. Spoiler alert: Optimus dies, yeah, and it has to transfer from him to someone else to another prime. Yeah, I can't remember who it was that guy who looked like a like alien hot rod car. Hot rod. Now we're no. Now we're not going to sing the song because of rights issues. But the song in Boogie Nights is it Peter Cetera? Is that who I'm thinking of? I don't think it's Peter Cetera. Okay. You are thinking of Peter Cetera. I am. Oh, I'm off. But it's <laughs> I don't think it's him. So one of the songs that they do in Boogie Nights is actually from Transformers, the movie, the animated movie, the one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's from that soundtrack. Yeah. And if you watch the movie, it's during a fight scene. And it's like, wait, this is this is Marky Mark's. Yeah. Marky Mark's Night Ranger rock band song. Yeah. That movie, that, that Transformers movie, that had some, that hit me a little bit as a kid. Like, there's just Transformers in the background just dying. Like, People, oh, it's that guy who's like the fire truck. Oh, he's gone. Like, Star, that's it. Starscream <laughs> gets killed by Megatron. I remember that happened. Yeah. Now, p- there are people... I have heard talk about how that was a, uh, it changed them. That it was the first, people said it's the first time they cried in a movie and the first time they felt genuine loss in their lives. Wow. When they, from watching the Transformers animated movie. My life had been a little tougher up to that point. So I don't know if I'm going to quite go there, <laughs> but, uh, but it's certainly my, my part of my, you know, my fantasy life had to be restructured a little bit 
It was definitely like a good primer for Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) There's probably a direct connection. Probably totally direct. He probably one degree of separation. Yeah, absolutely. Of course he was. (laughs) He's born like 1950. (laughs) All right. He's like in his 30s when Transformers came out. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) he writes sword books now. (laughs) It's okay. I mean, but like with like like a wicked amount of rape. You could, yeah, but you could like robot stuff in your 30s if you wrote Game of Thrones. Presently. That's true. That's true. It seems I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I started watching Defiance, and that came out like hold on two years ago. Hold on, the guy that wrote Ready Player One, Ernest Cline. I don't know what that is. Okay, that's fine. You should. Okay. So you're gonna read that next. Noted. I'll write this down. Ready Player One. So he has a DeLorean made up to look like the DeLorean in Back to the Future. There's a documentary on Netflix about the Atari cartridges that are buried in the desert. Okay. I recommend watching it. In the beginning of that, he has to meet up with Martin because he had loaned the DeLorean to George R.R. Martin. So he drives up in the DeLorean to give him his car back. So that guy who drives around in the Back to the Future looking DeLorean and writes the sword books probably watched Transformers in his 30s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, you know what? You're probably right. <laughs> That's, that's, I'm utterly convinced. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. We weren't talking about Transformers. You said you might have heard music in the background when you played Transformers. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely, I've listened to your podcasts. This has the least amount of structure of any of them. <laughs> we're going to have to do a second one you just were, so we can. You were trying for this, weren't you? No, I, no, I don't want to wreck this. We're only 50 minutes in. Come on. Okay, I don't actually know if that's what it'll be after I edit out everything. It's only 15 minutes? D. 50. Oh, Jesus Christ. Seriously? This is why they're so long, dude. Oh, fuck. You get talking, you have no idea. Why do we do this to people? (laughs) (laughs) It's entirely voluntary on everyone's part. All right. So I guess we're going to have to jump to your your event, your seventh grade event, because if you weren't really listening to music up till then, what happened to you that changed things, that changed your direction? We had like a free day at my school like one of the last days of school or whatever you could do whatever you wanted and I was aware of like skateboarding and I was aware of metal and all of these things and all these kids had like started adopting identities about this point that made them different from the others and they're kind of going off in their own tribes I hadn't really grabbed one yet like I I had a best friend who's still a really awesome friend this guy Chris Johansson and we just kind of like hung out and played on like BBS's like BBS's yeah Bolton board system you know like a kind of pre-internet video game stuff is it kind of like what matthew broderick is getting on in war games yes, yes you put the is. you put the phone in the cradle yes yes you do so you were doing that way back before anybody else yeah yeah and okay. then i think maybe at the time when we were really doing it like i don't know if you had to put the phone in the cradle i think you just had a line connected to your computer you know people would get on the like someone in the house would like pick up the phone and be like, and be like oh damn it get off the phone get off the computer you know and everyone <laughs> assumed that you could like hack into the the military and make a woman like in Weird Science. Uh, I don't or know. accidentally cause a nuclear war. I think maybe the, the latter. I don't think many people assumed the former, but <laughs> there's probably a lot of hoping. <laughs> but uh, no, so, but yeah, you would, you would basically like call a phone number and it's almost like a fax machine and you would just get this signal and you would like connect to it. It was a bulletin board where all these people could go and talk and post i mean it was like a you know literally like a bulletin board where you can like post messages like a message and, board now yeah and then they'd have these games these like text-based games there was a uh, lord or uh 
which was an acronym for Legend of the Red Dragon, mm-hmm. which was like a turn-based uh, fantasy game where you're like, you know, you were in the woods. Do you go north, south, east, oh, and, west? Oh, and, and Zork. It's like Zork. And stuff like that. It was like Zork or Zill, but it was online. And uh, you got one turn a day. Hmm. And you could host these things. So my friend Chris started hosting one. And uh, I learned that you could uh, kick people off while they were playing if they were hurting your character. <laughs> <laughs> so you learned how to cheat I did I, I wasn't allowed to do that anymore after the first time it, it was it was quite I felt quite powerful though <laughs> so anyway yes that's what I was doing with my life which... okay and then you had this free day what happened on the free day <laughs> um, they they let kids bring a jump ramp and start skateboarding and like right in the parking lot outside the school and I you know, like I said I was kind of aware of skateboarding and skateboarding culture and I had had a skateboard when I was a little kid like a you know, Paraflex or something like that. Mm -hmm. But seeing kids like rule, like that were my age that were like kids I knew from class. It's, you know, we kind of bond a little bit like, Oh, this is 87. Yeah. Probably 87. I'm trying to think. I'm not good with how old I am at any point. So if you had just graduated from high school, I was 17 when I graduated high school. Right. In 93. Yes. So that's how I came up with 87. It might be 86. Okay. You, you're the math guy. No, I'm not. I'm <laughs> really not. I could be wrong. Maybe it's even 87, 88. Yeah. But I'm just a... trying to like relate it to the skateboarding I was doing at the time. Okay. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm going to say like Bones Brigade and stuff was a thing. Sure. And uh, anyway, I'll, I'll say anyway, I was short of it is that I saw this. And I was like, oh, holy shit. I want to do that. Like this is like something, a sport and sports are stupid, but this is a sport. And you, you didn't like sports then. You... No, I was bad at them. I'm, I'm. A weakling and could you not run? I could run. I mean, I, can, I mean, I can run. <laughs> like when the whole school ran, like the turkey trot. Did you guys have that? Yeah, yeah, we did. I mean, I'd run. Did, did you come in in the middle of the pack? The end? The do you were you at um, the front? Yeah, usually in the middle. I was never in the front. Okay. I, I I'd like to say that I'm not competitive. Like I don't care who wins or loses, but I, I kind of am. And I think being not very good at it made me not want to try very hard at it. Right. Like, but you saw skateboarding as an individual thing. I did. Yeah, so I, I saw that as something that. So you watched on that day? Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd never. I I mean, I certainly it it would it would be a while till I was had the balls to go off at launch ramp. How old were the kids that were skating? My age. Your age? Okay. Yeah, I mean, there was kids in you know eighth and ninth grade doing it too. They're older than me. Okay. And did you were any of them good? Did you see any good tricks? Yeah, yeah. There was a kid. Um, Eric something he had like this the he, his entire life I'm sure he probably still has it now has that like Tony Hawk wave mm-hmm. that like covers one eye which I, I totally did <laughs> I've heard too. it referred to as the squeeb Ooh, squeeb. I, I heard definitely that. did have that haircut in high school nice yeah there's a guy named Shane Gwynn who was pretty good at skateboarding I most remember him as being a guy who made up his own words for things that are good <laughs> <laughs> got any examples oh yes <laughs> I use them to this day with <laughs> Chris Johansson, who went to school with me. He uses them, and I've since told them to Shane, Shane Mailing, my, <laughs> my buddy. And we all use them now. So they are the Ginder, uh-huh. Clea. Okay, so Ginder with a G, yeah. I believe. Clea and Luca Biff. Luca, Glinder. <laughs> Ginder, not Glinder. Ginder, Clea, and Luca Biff. Yes. These could be characters in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> These words, do they have... Are they just multi-purpose, or does each one mean a different kind of a good? I think they all just mean cool. Okay, so they're interchangeable. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I don't. It's not like one would would be one you'd apply to like a hot girl, and another one would be. He. You'd... There may have been some nuance that I wasn't aware of. 
I'm pretty sure he put most of the thought into the actual words themselves and not to their application. Do you use a mid-sentence as a replacement word, or do you just wait till something gets said, then you pause and you go, Gender. Yeah. That's how you do it? They're just single statement Mm -hmm. words? I believe so. That's fucking Gender. Yeah, I I try to, sometimes I'll work them into sentences with Shane or Chris, because no one else knows (laughs) what the fuck I'm talking about. But do you ever accidentally use them with someone that doesn't know and then have to backtrack? Um... Probably I have. I'm sure they probably weren't listening to me or they're just like, whatever. Damien's making up I've, words. I've known you for a couple of decades now, and I've never heard you using their words. Yeah. It's, it's I spent seven weeks in a van with you in the summer, and I never heard you say gender. Well, it was seven weeks in the summer. Very few things were gender that summer. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing was gender, man. No, that's true. All right. Okay, so you see the skateboard and you get excited. How long after you see it do you get a board? Probably within a couple of weeks. What kind of a board? Mini cab. You got a mini cab within a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Where'd you have them? Where'd you get the money? Uh, my mom. She bought it for me. Straight up bought you a good pro level skateboard. Yeah, you got a. Mini- my mom was a uh, waitress for most of her life, mm-hmm. and she's always been real pretty. And so I like to think that she did quite well. <laughs> sure. No, but it's it's for me it's surprising because that was a very difficult thing for me to achieve the first mm-hmm. time. It was a combination of Christmas and birthday gifts and getting money from various different people to put together the 125 to $140 you needed to make yeah. that happen. No, I, in, in all seriousness, not, I'm not trying to be silly about my, my mother. Um, no, it's, she, no, it's but totally I was, good. I just, I, it's interesting to me. Actually, the, the, I mean, she was a waitress and part of it is I spent weekends at her house and I have two younger brothers. And so she would have to work Friday and Saturdays from... You know, she yeah. worked at Stuart Anderson's Black Angus, and uh, she would have to work those those shifts. You know, six to close. Like yeah. she's at their their bar. I mean, I think they stayed open until two a.m. So she would be coming home around two o'clock, or maybe she'd get off and be home by eleven or something. But my job as a ten or eleven, twelve year old was to watch my little brothers. So she would pay me. Oh, nice! And she knew I wanted the skateboard more than anything. So she was like, "Okay, well then, you know, the next couple months or whatever, this is going to be." what you get and i was like fine great totally cool like i was probably spending most of my money on comic books anyway at the point which that never really fully stopped but right i mean it was definitely skateboarding was something i was like no this is this is how did you know that you needed to get a powell peralta skateboard with pro level gear how did you know that the veriflex or the nash wasn't going to cut it for you um, I'm sure or the Volterra, I mean, Volterra, Nash, those, those I think was, was toy it? store, they were all three. I believe. Okay. Nash Veriflex is, the ones that... is, is more borderline pro level. They actually had good gear at some point. I would say Nash has had German bearings though. They had the good bearings in them. Uh, total garbage. So you could, no, you could buy them at thrift stores and take them for like five bucks and take, and take the bearings out yeah. and use the bearings on your good stuff. I actually would do that at thrift stores recently with uh, printers. I buy printers and take out the ink cartridges. Oh. Because most people's printers go to crap. The first thing they do is buy new ink cartridges. And they're like, oh, it doesn't work. So they just donate it. Oh. There you go. (laughs) And then what? And then you take the the cartridges and use them in your own? Yeah. Okay. So you got to find the same ones. Not that I have a printer anymore, but but when I did. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. So how did you know that you wanted good stuff? I'm sure I just asked other kids because, you know, I was, like I said, these kids I went to classes with and. You know, it's at that point, like you could go to bike factory and for 20 bucks, you get three t-shirts. So these kids are like, you know, they get all these, they're always having like new gear coming in. Like they got Thrasher magazine, Thrasher magazine, Transworld, Airwalk shoes, Bones Brigade, Palparol to sweatpants. And, okay. So you, know, you, you were, I was you aware were, you were immersing yourself in the culture. Yeah. And Thrasher and Transworld were the two magazines that I also picked up right away and immediately 
you know, gravitate towards. So because a couple people will enjoy this, give me the whole setup. What, what was your board? What was everything? I had a mini cab. I had independent trucks and slime ball wheels. Slime balls. Mm-hmm. Color grip, black grip. Oh, uh, just black grip. Full grip or two piece with the dragon two, showing two in the piece middle. Dragon showing. Was that in the, was this during the time when people were doing all the paint pen designs on the top? Uh, not that time, but sure, it, that soon followed because I remember uh, writing an entire thing of Bad Religion lyrics on the top of one of my Mike McGill boards. I uh, oh, that's embarrassing. I skinny puppy. <laughs> I was like, that's really embarrassing me. I like that suffer record. <laughs> no, I was yours wasn't embarrassing. I put uh, skinny puppy lyrics on mine. Um, if you remember, there was a Powell Peralta ad that had Lance Mountain holding up his board, and he had his entire grip done in the Crossbones logo, and he was holding a paintbrush. Mm, and it was that. like, if you were skating at the time, your board immediately became this <laughs> rainbow paint pen canvas. <laughs> like everybody was trying to like paint everything on, you know, on their boards. So little things like that would be so influential. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I, I stayed pretty, pretty conservative. I think I did clear grip, grip tape at one point, which was like, that shit was like glass. It was awful. Just tore your shoes right <laughs> off your feet the first time you tried to ollie. <laughs> you like fucking Captain Caveman after one trick. You're like, oh, what the hell? Yeah. Okay. Once again, we're a little tangenty, but that's okay. Um, so that was your setup. Mm-hmm. You had the smaller indies because it was a small board. Yeah. That doesn't matter, but there's probably a couple of you know, I, board geeks I out seem there to remember that like it. I went to Bike Factory and got mm-hmm. it done, and I seem to remember that the guy there like really helped me. He was like, what board do you want? I was like, I want that one. The Not the not the big one with the cool dragon. I want the one with the really friendly looking dragon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a skateboard shop for two years in Bellingham, and we did that like on a daily basis. Yeah. We'd put the boards together for people. Yeah, so I, I got... I think I'd, I'd specified slime balls and I'd specified the board and he was like all right well you want these trucks hard wheels or soft wheels i think they were soft at the time you like the the gummier like 92a's i mean i'll i'll tell you slime balls are probably 92's i don't know if you how 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 we're gonna get to this i can tell you where i ended up with everything i was very specific on how things were set up what was your what was your final once you knew what you could do and what you liked what was your setup well the board i never when it, it got to a point where i didn't quite care what the board was like my favorite board i ever had was a gns street chomp hmm like I don't like maybe that was ninety. I don't even remember when that came out. When you when that one board, that one perfect board hits, there's nothing you can do. I think that was when I was. I think one of the reasons that was my favorite is that was when I was probably at my best. So you learned your best tricks like, on the board. I was like, yeah, I was like, all right, kick flips, heel flips, snollies. Like I think the first time I ever tried handrail was with that. I never really got good at those. I was pretty freaked out by them, but. You know, it's got pretty good at mini ramp stuff. Never tried big ramps, but you know, I was like, I never landed a kick flip. Yeah. That that was kind of the death of like I best, couldn't keep up. It's the best feeling in the world. I'll bet it is, and I hate you. <laughs> um, I didn't. I mean, I didn't land a lot. I wasn't great. I just you know, I but I I, I could hold my own. I, I I really like doing lines. Like I like finding a place where I could just instead of just hitting the same curb over and over and the first steps over and over. I like having a place where you could go and do stuff. I think, I mean, had I had the skate parks the kids have now, I don't think I would have ever in a million years stopped. Um, yeah. Exactly. I liked, there was a place in Bellingham where we could kind of get one front to drive us up the top and then do like downhill, like mm-hmm. we'd go like through, through the whole neighborhood. And then certain oh, yeah, people had great. different, different things in their front yard, like different yeah. parking structures oh, and that. stuff. And so it was cool. We would do that. We called it the St. Clair downhill. That was probably some of my favorite skateboarding ever, man. Cause we were just carving and totally. hit, hit, like trying to ollie the flower bed out of this one, this one driveway you could hit just right where you could make it back out onto the street and stuff. Yeah. Awesome. So much better than just hitting one curb over and over again, which I also spent hours of my life doing. Mm-hmm. 
because it was painted right. Yeah. Or people had hit it with their rails enough times that it was now really slick. Yeah, yeah I mean, don't get me wrong. There was there's certain spots that I would drive out to a certain curb and just do that forever. Not drive. I never, I never drove. But, you know, I had someone to drive me out to a place, and I would... My mom was probably like, what the hell is this kid doing? <laughs> the same red curve over and over again. But, uh, but she must have thought that was money well spent because you dove right into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't cool. I wasn't like also then stopping and doing tons of drugs and drinking either. Like I, I just didn't have the time. I, you know, skating, right. that's it. Just skating. That's all I really cared about. Were you going to say what kind of wheels you ended up using? Oh, um, I'm trying to actually remember what the last pair, I, I got, Right when I was quitting skateboarding, the tiny, tiny, tiny wheels yeah. had just become passe because they're ridiculous. <laughs> and I mean, they're easier for flip tricks and stuff, yeah. but they're ridiculous. I mean, literally like pointless. It was like having bearings that had a little gummy set thing on the outside of it. It was terrible. And you'd have to buy a new wheel essentially every week. I mean, you yeah. get a flat spot. Oh, there's a, a method to the madness. Yeah. So I just want to say they were just, uh, they were just like whatever the regular like boilerplate wheels are that like you know pal or whoever was made whoever was making i mean i would just buy those but it was gullwing trucks i loved gullwing trucks everyone hated them okay i hated them when i when i restored independence but once i got once i first got a set of gullwing someone gave them gave them to me i loved them never stopped that and uh i want to say like my last board was oh what is that guy's name i want to say it was like rodney mullen kind of had like a resurgence Mm -hmm. when he just like went from the freestyle thing to like just street but with the same of his freestyle stuff yeah and i want to say it was probably one of his boards because i just always loved him and when he started doing more street skating i was like oh shit this guy has got it going on and for a while i was He's, like he is unreal no yeah. one like that i was obsessed with like h street and all their their videos and all that stuff because they always had the best music and blind skateboards but... so so i'm going to assume that the skate videos is where the music came to you yes thrasher skate rock and skate videos absolutely i mean that's where I heard about Operation Ivy. That's where I heard about the faction. That's where I heard about... I mean, I used to draw the faction bad on everything, <laughs> of course. I mean, I still listen to some metal, too. I I got into metal when I was a kid, um, just before skateboarding. I should say, like, right. I wasn't a metal kid in school. I just sort of was like, oh, Metallica's cool. Iron Maiden's cool. Judas Priest is cool. Like, I liked them, and I had the records, and I heard them. But... You, were, you were trending towards aggression of some sort. Yeah, yeah. That was certainly... People yelling and things being heavy were interesting to me. I mean, Black Sabbath was cool. It was Black Sabbath was one of those things I actually didn't start liking until I was probably much older. Most people probably won't probably would think it was not the case because they're an older band. But yeah, I, I just I, I think like Metallica and Slayer and because I my my best friend Chris Jansen, his older sister dated a lot of like metal guys and so we'd have we'd drive around her car and she'd always be playing like slayer south of heaven or injustice for all or something like that and i was just like fuck this is fantastic <laughs> these guys are angry and uh yeah i thought it was great but um and then there's a little you know those guys those like metal dudes would also be guys who skated too in my you know there's that kind of like hesher skater yep i don't know if that exists any little more i probably yeah but i that... don't know it's hard to say now because it's not as dirty as it was it's a little more accepted yeah. and clean cut it's true i mean those those guys were like like the skaters didn't really like i mean they, they accepted those guys of course too but i mean those guys were all about like doing it seemed like in general like they loved like huge stairs acid drops like they'd always have like the worst fucking ramp in the world in their backyard it had like you know inch holes between the plywood and you'd have to go skate that at their house everything like, you're describing <laughs> is my life my friend <laughs> i never had the ramp in my yard but my buddies did yeah, <laughs> like just go to some just 
just shithole ramp with yeah that's been out like people were skating it two years ago it's been out in the elements now but in we, the washington state we elements. can put this thing back together we can oh totally yeah I got I got a piece of plywood. Do you know Let's how many woods I've just wandered like randomly just wandered into, assuming there'd be like the secret animal chin ramp or something <laughs> sitting in there? <laughs> like, there's gonna be one back in those woods. I know it. There's some guy who had some killer spot that just hit it back here. Like, you know, I think like in between the freeway. You were searching for <laughs> the animal chin ramp. I always was. Have you seen him? No, I haven't seen him, but I have seen the shirt that I used to wear every day. <laughs> do, do, do you know what animal chin's first name is? Is Animal not his first name? No. Is it's Animal Chin his last name? It's Wonton. Where? Wan, what's his The reporter name? in the beginning of the search for Animal Chin says legendary skater Wonton Animal Chin has gone missing. <laughs> it's one of the most racist things in the world. Is it? So would Animal be in quotes? I think I think it's Wonton Chin and <laughs> Animal is his nickname. <laughs> Any one of those could be the nickname. <laughs> yeah, it was Craig Stesick that was dressed up in the, when you see him from behind on the dressed skateboard. Like, dressed like Min Mickey Rooney on a skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Animal, the Search for Animal Chin, one of the greatest skate videos of all time. Also, one of the most asinine things you'll ever see in your life. They find a hidden ramp. Yeah. And you dreamed of walking out. You actually did it. You searched for hidden ramps. Yeah. You never found one. And you're like, I'm going to be just like Tommy Guerrero, just skating that tiny little ramp at the top the entire time. <laughs> Poor Tommy Guerrero. Great street skater. They find this gigantic ramp out in the middle of nowhere. And then he, yeah, he doesn't get any real parts on it. And he's like, oh, sweet. I have zero experience with this. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, poor Tommy. Poor Tommy. How much money do you think he made off his off of his uh, pro models? It's a ton. And he's a great musician now and puts out awesome records. <laughs> I just feel super bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you searched for animal chin ramps. You yes. should have made one. No. Just no? That's not my wheelhouse. <laughs> okay, so you got into, you were getting the skate rock cassettes, I assume. Of course. Uh, what was your first one? Noise Forest, I guess. Noise Forest, mm -hmm. okay. Which, obviously. That's got, <laughs> that's got brotherhood on it. Yeah. It, pushed, it pushes me in the right direction, so. Okay. So how do you go from being into skateboarding and going to shows? Like, what's your first show? Well, I mean, you know, it, it was aside from like going to see Fleetwood Mac when I was three, you know, stuff like that. Like, that's pretty cool. My mom, but that's not my that's mom a and, concert. Yeah, you know my mom and dad took me to see like you know, Doobie Brothers, Fleetwood Mac, and so you were you were not unfamiliar with going to rock concerts. Yeah, I think they even took me to see the Who once, which is for its time quite loud. Like I remember standing back and like watching the lights on the, you know, the, the soundboard because the soundboard in those big concerts is like in the you know, center of the field kind mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. and just being super into watching the lights going up every time they did something, like realizing there's some connection there. Be like, oh fuck, that's awesome. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh fuck, I'm three. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so um, well, my first real immersion into like holy shit skateboarding was the Gotcha Grind, in 1990. I want to say it was 90. At the Kingdom, maybe? Uh, or the Key Arena? I did not go. Okay. Um, I'd been skateboarding for a while, and um, for a couple years, maybe. And But this was like the first, like, there's an event, and it's an all-day thing, and you get right. to get dropped off and go and watch So you were too pros. young to go to Wake Up and Smell the Pavement? The Fallout ones. Were, were, cause I went to one, I want to say, that was like in Burien or something. Um, there, I've got pictures up on my Facebook. Um, Jake remembers, Jake Snyder remembers going to the one that I had pictures from. I think it was the, 
the second one, and I believe there were only two. Okay. There's um, it was some schoolyard. Okay, definitely was a schoolyard. I think it was a North Seattle school. Okay, I, I went to sure. some. I want to say I want to say Fallout had something to do with it because this would have been when I had already been into it for a little while. Okay, but anyway, it was it was some ramp. I remember uh, blunts became like were like the big trick that year. People just started doing blunts, and I was like, oh, that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> physics. <laughs> I haven't learned anything from that rock smash my hand clearly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I saw Gotcha Grind that had Young Fish Fellows playing, who I thought were awesome. Years later, got to uh, actually. So that's kind of like your first show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that, you know, I remember watching Kurt Block and being like, "Man, that guy's so rad!" Like (laughs) he was doing all this goofy shit, and I, I I ended up. uh, They're 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 okay. They're a good band. But I, uh, I definitely remember like when I finally got their record, being like, "Oh, this isn't actually very heavy at all." (laughs) Right. In my mind, it was so loud and crazy at the time, and I was like, "Fuck, this is awesome!" And then I heard it, I was like, "Oh, this is not DRI." There you go, DRI, and you were into DRI. Yeah, everyone connects with DRI. It's a, a big thing. I mean, dealing with it is a huge deal. And then even when they did the crossover record, I was I thought it was great. I will definitely say that Four of a Kind, or I'm not Four of a Kind, uh, Thrash Zone, I started to kind of wonder where they were going. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, it sounds like they've been listening to maybe some MOD. Yeah, that that would be right. SOD would be fine, but MOD. Yeah, it had its moments, but it was. I think SOD you get once. Yeah. That yeah. SOD record. SOD record's great. <laughs> Fucking so Speak ignorant. English or die. <laughs> <I know. laughs> my mother once discovered uh, my accused tape and just started to cry. Oh my God. It was, uh, I think it was Maddest Story Ever Told. And she started crying? Crying. My mom's very Christian. Oh. Yes. Like, very much so. Very into it. To this day, like, that's, I've actually had... I actually uh, made it so people can't post things on my wall <laughs> because right. she posts so many things and she's so sweet. And I know she's trying to share something really important with her. With, you know, it's really important to her mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. She's not being mean or judgy or anything like that. She just sure. really cares, but I just, yeah, it's not my thing. <laughs> but yeah. at the time when she heard the accused, she was just like, Oh my God, this is the worst thing I can imagine. My son she didn't like it to. from the way it sounded or from the way the art looked. Take your pick. Okay. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't think there's a wrong answer in that choice. <laughs> okay. So what's the first actual show? Uh, that's not like at a skate thing um, where you went out just to see bands. It's a, t- it's right now. It's kind of a toss up. I want to say it's either Christ on a crutch at the party hall. Perfect. Or it was this, it might've been like dumped and saber at, uh, <sighs> at a VFW hall in, in, a. Bothell. Those are both good choices. I'll bet it's the Bothell one. I want, it was close to home. I know, but I want to say that I never actually got to see Saber. I really, yeah. I had their, I had their demo tapes. I remember thinking that, and they also uh, had the shirt that said "Say Beer." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Fuck, those guys are so clever." <laughs> I never got to see them. I saw it dumped a number of times though. Yeah. So it's gotta be dumped close to home, and then you ventured out to the party hall. Yeah, probably. And so I, you go see Christ on a Crutch the party hall. Who'd they play with? Uh, I think Positive Greed and... Positive Greed, Christ on a Crutch. I might even have a flyer for this show. I, You know, I can't remember who else. I honestly can't. I don't think it was a super well-attended show, but How I How old were you? 16 or 17. Okay, what do, what do you remember about going to the party hall at 16 or 17 your first time? Um, I remember being a scary neighborhood. Yeah. At the time, I was like, wow, this is for real. 
I mean, it's not now, but at the time it was, I mean, you, I, everyone's like, don't go to the corner store unless you got people with you. I fucking mm-hmm. never went to that corner store. Ever. Right. All you gotta do is say that to me once. I'm like, you know, don't go down there unless there's like, you've got tons of backup. <laughs> I was like, well, you know what? I'm just never going to go there. Yeah. I don't need backup. I'm not if someone was like, could you go get me something in the store? I'd be like, of course I can't. <laughs> like, what a silly question. Why would you ask that? And you remember the the um, mattresses against the wall that yeah, you couldn't touch. Rolled up carpets and the pool oh, tables. Such a great place. It was great. I saw Struggle and Undertow there. I saw Undertow a number of times. I saw, before I was in the band, I saw Christ maybe there. Did they play there? No, maybe they They there. played Bellingham in okay. the backyard. I don't, th- I don't think they did play there. I don't know. It's one of those things, like it was one of those, you know, it's a summer. I probably was there every single show for at least a summer. Um, but then, are we getting to that point now? Getting to what point? The, the this time of my life. Yeah, are we, are we we're the there because, yeah, we we basically got there. It makes sense. Everything makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I I will say just to touch up on the skateboarding. Like skateboarding was so important to me though that I missed many good shows that I regret to this day. Like I didn't go. I knew of the Inside Out shows happening and I didn't go because I was going to go skate instead with some friends. Oh wow. Okay. And Galleon's Lap, I never saw them, and it was oh. always due to skateboarding. Except one time I went to go see him. I was like, I'm going to go see him, and they didn't show up. Uh, I want to say it was a house show in the U District or something, but okay. uh, or maybe I thought they were supposed to play and they didn't play. I don't remember. I remember being disappointed for sure. And then, so I've, what pulled you? Well, here's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. I want to know what pulls you towards Straight Edge. Okay, um, because th- you're you're going and seeing, you're listening to metal, you're mm-hmm. into skateboarding, you're liking skate rock, and you're going to see like Christ on the Crutch and Positive Greed, and you're a skater kid. So what? But but when I meet you. When I get to know you, you're straight edge. Yeah. So um, what happened there? You know, I've known of its existence, sort of. I mean, I knew Minor Threat song, of course. I remember, I mean, when I was in, I think in eighth grade, I, we were supposed to read poetry in class. I didn't have anything. I didn't prepare, but I had a Minor Threat tape in my pocket, so I just pulled that out and read that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that, I did not get an A on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I should get some, you know, some points for adapting to the situation. Um, but, you, but you wait, you were supposed to write poetry or read poetry? Or Repo- bring something. Bring that something you liked. in to read. You should have got an A. Yeah, I should have. I, I had that in high school. I had that same um uh that same assignment, and I uh, did token entry. Nice. The token one of the, entry. I did a token <laughs> entry song. Okay. Just pulled the lyric sheet out. Did, did you? But you planned it. You're like, oh, I'm gonna... they said you can bring in bring in something that you like. It can be lyrics. It can be anything. And we ve- we were like, for sure. And he was like, yep, it could be anything you want. So I did token entry. The song about the preachers. The religious song, anti-religion song, and uh, my buddy Jason Lambert did uh, Yot. Uh, I think he did No More. That's a good one. He did. He did, I thought it was like I think it was a vegetarian song. No more. Just looking out for myself. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember right, Jason. If I got that wrong, I'm sorry, but I remember you doing Youth Today in our uh, in our class. Okay, so well, okay, well, I'll you tell you. You should have got an A. Thank you. Minor threat. Come on. Yeah. Well, we'll, go, we'll open the records. And we'll take a look. See what happened. <laughs> um, bomb shelter videos happened too oh yeah and fallout happened the, all these things sort of pushed me kind of towards straight edge so bomb shelter videos was something i could easily access from bothell i had no car you, you, i didn't drive until you I was, were able to watch the yeah i didn't drive till i was like 19 years old right so almost 19 yeah so i didn't drive i, I just didn't drive. i got early damien driving stories yeah so. <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't drive that entire tour Oh, I remember. <laughs> Someone wasn't very happy about that. <laughs> well, you remember the time I tried to drive, and you guys are like, nope, you're not allowed. On the tour? Yeah. No, I don't. I tried to move the van in a parking lot and almost I took just, it down a hill. I just remember that Mark 
hated that you didn't drive. Mark hated everything that everyone ever did, ever. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait till you have him on the podcast. Oh, God, it's going to be so exciting. Okay, (laughs) I am. I'm going to love that. So, no, but he was, we went knowing you weren't going to be able to drive. Yeah. And it it lasted a few days before he was just like, you, he was just so pissed off that you weren't driving, that you weren't getting a turn. I mean, you weren't carrying your weight. I mean, I stood up, I stayed up fucking for days sometimes without sleep staying up with people because i felt bad about that i remember staying up all night with murph like till i I probably didn't sleep for three days or something and we broke the van the speedometer (laughs) fucking broke at one point like mark says he woke up we're driving like 90 he thinks and like we're just murph and i are just like laughing and high-fiving while the sun's coming up and he marks like i'm just gonna go back to sleep so i can die in my sleep (laughs) yep yeah so I had no way of getting around. I couldn't easily go into Seattle and be like, oh, I want to go to Fallout or I want to go to shows. Hard for me to get to shows. Yeah. Um, my best friend Chris would take me. He had a license and he was a, little, he was a few months older than me. So he got it like right away. So he was basically my ride for a long time. And he was always, he, I mean, I don't know how happy he was. He seemed happy to come along. Um, I hope. <laughs> basically, I took advantage of my best friends for rides <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and I apologize. <laughs> When we say you had bomb sort of videos, you were watching yeah. them on public access. Yeah, and you, you know, you, you know, you get like DRI and Death Angel and all that stuff, but you also get, you know, Young Fresh Fellows, you get Youth of Today or, you know, whatever. So that's yeah. where I first saw the No More uh, video. And I used to did tape them. It was Saturday at midnight. I think it was Saturday or Friday. Well, I think Saturday because I think Friday at midnight was Brain Pain on 1090 AM, <laughs> the metal show, which I, which I, that's where I first learned about King Diamond. Nice. <laughs> um, I just remember they had a Halloween show and it was just King Diamond. And at first I was like, that's pretty cool. And after a while I was like, oh my God, this is starting to kind of wear on me a bit. But yeah, so to, then you started coming into yeah, Fallout. Coming into Fallout. And uh, I would just ask like Russ or Janet or Wes or who I was working at the time. I mean, this was before Paula and Ron worked mm-hmm. there. And I would just ask them like what was cool. And I think just being kind of like a skater kid, like a little kind of clean cut kid who kind of seemed to gravitate towards like heavier stuff. They just sort of directed me towards hardcore I mean, I think the first tape I ever bought there was uh, not, I would not, but I'd say it would be a hardcore band necessarily, a TSOL tape. Mm. And it wasn't even like the good one. <laughs> it was like one of the later ones. Okay. I mean, by later one, it was probably the second one, you know, but still it was like <laughs> not as, not as good. I mean, this is before CDs or anything. Yeah. I mean, this time I remember like I got a CD player maybe around that time for Christmas and my friend was like, dude, no band we ever like would ever have a CD. <laughs> and then very quickly, the Verbal Assault trial yeah. CD came out. Youth of Today, bold split CD. Yep, yeah, yep. <laughs> very important to me. Which all got recalled. That's right. Yeah, I don't know why. It's, I mean, they all sound terrible, regardless. <laughs> no, they sound great. <laughs> okay, so so Russ and Janet and Wes pushed you towards hardcore a little in the Fallout. Yeah, I want to say a little selection. bit. Yeah, and I I really gravitated towards Seven Inches too. I got bought okay. tapes, but I really thought Seven Inches were like the coolest thing. Like Tiny Records, fuck, these are awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I would just start, like, I would save but my you lunch already money. knew about Minor Threat. Already knew about Minor Threat. And I think maybe being like, oh, I love Minor Threat. I really love Minor Threat. You know, that's, that's, and, you know, I love the Misfits and stuff too. But it was like, that was something I just, I was all about Minor Threat. So they, they must have just been like, oh, you like hardcore. Here you go. So, yeah, they, 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 they so they got me into it. And I think being a kid who wasn't interested in drinking. And you weren't interested in drinking. I wasn't. I had taken some drugs and drank a little experimentation here and there. I mean. Taken some drugs. Like dropped acid, smoked a little pot. You dropped acid before you did pot? Uh, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and none of this, none of that was stuff that you wanted to keep doing. You were like, eh. It just didn't feel right to me. 
It didn't feel like something that was really me. It didn't feel like something that I was going to be like, you know, I'm going to do this weekend is this. Like, it just seemed I was at the time when this, this was like when I was, you know, really before I really was introduced to skateboarding, um, it was really just more, I just wanted to play computer games and hang out with my friends. So, but you know, what was really popular was what a lot of my friends did and all the metal guys I hung out with just did tons of drugs and all the jocks in my school fucking got drunk all the time and talked about it like crazy and just, we're just kind of it seemed shitty and i was i think to me straight edge was kind of a little subversive it was like oh yeah it was like fuck you i don't do that shit you do and it it was to me it didn't come off square it was it, was, it wasn't and it wasn't like i'm holding i'm not doing something like it's not well a, and it kind of made people mad when they'd find out that yeah. you were into this i mean it was always like what do you think you're better than me yeah and it was like i absolutely think i'm better than you <laughs> not because i'm straight edge this just happens to be a symptom of it i think i'm a better version of me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I didn't think that. I've always hated myself. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there had to be something that made you make the decision. Like when, a, what do you know? What day you claimed straight oh, edge? Um, not really. I don't know. You just gra- you gradually got into that. Like you gradually I I got just, into everything else in your life. Yeah, I think I was. I, I'm a I'm a considerate person. I take time with these things, Dave. <laughs> It's like you you slowly morphed into all these different parts of your life. Though. Yeah, I just you know I I weigh things out, pros and cons. <laughs> just want to see what's going on. No, I I think honestly I I started going to Teen Feed in the district. Remember that? I, I yeah I remember that there was one. I did. Yeah, know. people don't know it. Uh, like every Friday from like six to eight or whatever, this church in the district, like I'm assuming Episcopal Church or one of the nice ones, <laughs> um. <laughs> Would open their doors and feed all the shitty punk rock kids, and I, that was who I hung out with. So I would go, and it was just kind of a place to meet up. I remember they would have these rolls; they'd put broccoli in the center of them. Is <laughs> <laughs> it eat around the broccoli? It was just well, you didn't always get it. It was like a surprise, like oh, I got broccoli, or, oh, I got a you know Ninja Turtle or whatever. Like they might have hidden in the roll. What? <laughs> okay. And uh, so you were a you were a U District hanging out punk kid for a while. Well, I should say the guys I hung out with. Um, who I don't know how well you know these guys. They later became that band, Swarming Hordes. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um. They. I used to skate with them a lot. Okay. Brent Blaine and Mark and this guy Brian Trimble. Um. And they would also be my rides a lot to. Sk- they lived up by me up right. in the Bothell area. They lived more towards Everett, but I mean, if you're going to if you're going to Seattle from Everett, you got to go by Bothell. <laughs> and uh, they would they they would take me and they would teach me. They taught me a lot about you know they they're the ones first showed me Galleon's Lap. Oh, and, cool. You know that kind of stuff. So the other ones for show me Undertow. The other ones for show me Undertow tape. They they are actually the ones who first made fun of the hardcore dance that everyone did at the time. That weird like twisting bob thing, where you like stand and like you know. There was this cool kind of period of time where everyone was trying to figure it out. Like definitely like like up in Bellingham, people were having discussions about it. Oh, it wasn't it wasn't a, like a region wide thing. It was just Seattle. No, because people would be imitating it all over the place, right? But I remember like talking. I remember having a, a specific conversation with like Val Wonder and Jen Martinez about how you do the dance, like how. And it was, and there, for a while, everyone was like, "All those Seattle hardcore guys, they've all got nice shoes and turning point shirts." And I was like, <laughs> "And good hair, right?" And then, then for a bunch of people, that was that was like. So fuck them, you know, like they were like <laughs> enemies of Undertow because of how they looked, yeah. you know. But just before that. That was, it seemed like there was a lot more like head gaskets 
and everyone would be standing there. You like the the whole like moshing thing wasn't cool anymore because of Fugazi. Mm-hmm. So everyone would kind of like be holding their hands like right in front of them, and then kind of like. Kind of like you said, twisting and like moving your shoulders, and no one was sure exactly what to do. But yeah. everyone wanted to, everyone wanted to freak out, but wasn't sure how. It was like the space respecting boogie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't really know. I sure, I certainly have done a few of my bobs and twists in my day. <laughs> with probably a Malcolm X hat on. You wore a Malcolm X hat. I had one. It didn't last very long. How did you get into said child? Well, um, and did you play music before that? When I first got into like skateboarding and uh, all that, my stepdad at the time was a bass player, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, you like music and like this rock and roll stuff." And he he, I think he recognized that the music I was into was kind of underground. He was really into like Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart and all these sort of like slightly more obscure, you know, rock bands. And I think that uh, he kind of saw that I was interested in, you know, I'd play with his bass a little bit. So he let me borrow his bass, oh, his like backup bass he had, which was this like hollow body Epiphone thing. It was crazy. And uh, my friend Christian Hansen and I and this kid Ron Good, this guy Jason Axley, they we started like a little band, and uh, and just you know tried to play songs and, in junior high. Yeah, this is what were you called? Numb. Numb. Okay. Then we found out there was that band that's like uh like Ministry Guys or whatever called Numb too. Like, oh, it sucks. So did you have to change your name or did you quit? Do you mean did we change our name to Vomitorium? Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It may have been the other way around, actually. <laughs> <laughs> there may have been some of that like open a dictionary and point to a letter kind of thing and I was like vomitorium are you fucking kidding me this is from on high that's what we gotta call ourselves so did you uh, learn a lot in that band no I didn't learn very much I learned uh, the one song we wrote uh, turned out to basically just be Sweet Leaf by Black Sabbath <laughs> <laughs> it was not the most productive band but I you know I could play I mean I can play yeah. you know I could play along I took bass lessons I mean I could play along with hardcore songs I didn't care to learn any of my lessons you know right play classical gas on a bass you know i wasn't really interested in doing that but i could do it at the time you can play uh, christmas carols if you'd like um you know i had but i had the skill and i'd had a bass and you know this was like something i could do and i ended up uh getting to be friends with mike byer from said child mm-hmm. and seth i think i'd gone over to seth's house to buy records as the first time i actually met him he'd put you know back then there's no mail order through internet or anything so I think honestly, he put his like his phone number in a zine that I had, uh-huh. and like listed some records he had, and I wanted it like could have been in the classified section of Maximum Rock and Roll. Yeah, it, it may have been. And uh, I had a friend drive me over to his house in Lake Forest Park, and I think they were having sickness practice, which is this like side project. I don't think I ever did anything. That sounds. Familiar. It was like half of Undertow, and I don't know. Something, I don't. I don't think I ever did anything. But they. Uh, but I bought like a turning point, no escape split, mm-hmm. and I think like maybe the forever comp or the rebuilding comp all or something. That's all. All of those are right around the same time. Yeah. So it was. I just bought a bunch of seven inches. Right around them. the same. Really awesome. Time. Yeah, that was all good stuff, man. <laughs> Fucking. I mean, Rorschach and no escape and the rest. Born against. I mean. I mean, turning. I, I, I the other day I pulled out like turning point and sat shadow seasons seven inches and stuff and was listening. Nice. Days. They did not age as well as I'd hoped. Oh, really? Yeah. I love that stuff, man. Uh, It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I usually, I don't know. I usually like listening to the old stuff that I like. I I do too. I mean, anyway. I don't expect it to keep up. It can't. It's stuck in the time that it's in. It is. It is. The recording's never going to get any better. No, no. (laughs) That's always a big problem of it too. It's like a whole genre of music's trying to develop at a time when like none of us had the ability to record ourselves, so we had to go with someone, and no one had any money. No, so you had to just go to like, 
you know, electric eel and pay $15 an hour or whatever to record your demo. And you get like five hours to record the entire record. You're like, shit, okay, let's do this. But, um, uh, it made for better records. It did. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think there's nothing like a time constraint and pressure Yeah, for to, sure. to bring out the best in a, cause I mean, I don't know when someone sits with a record for a year. Oh, they're always crap. They're always polishing crap. Yeah. Uh, it's always crap. Yeah. No, it's, I, I agree. Yeah. So I got to know Mike and those guys. Um, I think I was just, you know, I was just like, Hey, you guys seem cool. Let's do something. And we saw each other at shows. Um, I probably saw them at a Fugazi show or something. I feel like I saw Fugazi like 700 times one summer. <laughs> um, and Mark, they had asked me if I knew any female bass players. Those got you're talking about undertow. No, said child said child. Yeah. Okay. Joel had <laughs> been kicked out of undertow at this point. I got to see him sing with Undertow once. He didn't get kicked out. They broke up. Yeah. We, we, yeah. They became Bridgestone for like <laughs> four seconds before they realized it was the name of Tires. They broke up <laughs> and then they reformed. Yeah. They went separate directions. <laughs> but Seth and Joel had become super good friends through the through being in the band together. Seth had lived in San Diego and come yeah. up here. And and they, you know, they bonded through that. So uh, they decided to start a band on the side and... Seth had, I think was, yeah, was still doing Undertow. Yeah, there was that period of time where John was singing and Seth was still playing. Mm-hmm. Spanky was playing bass. Yep. Okay. And that's the time I probably saw them the most, was when, before I was in the band, of course. Right. Um, so, yeah, they were starting a band with Mike Byer playing drums, and they, they needed a bass player. And they knew I played bass, but they were really, they really needed a girl bass player. That's what they told me. They're like, we need a female bass player. We just, we can't be just a bunch of dudes. <laughs> right. Like, okay, that's fine. And at this point, Riot Girl is just on fire. Yeah, or, yeah, just coming around. I'd say, yeah, that, it was that, get, it was it was in there. Yeah, I think I'm just probably learning about it. Did at this they point. did they know what they wanted said child to look like? I would say, was, and did they was it called said child yet? Yes, I think I think Joel had, had the name like before they even. I think he'd had that name when he was an undertow. Okay. I want to say it's something he wanted to do. Um, you know, he had just started dressing nicer and listening to a lot of Morrissey. Um, they, I think one of the reasons they liked me is they found out that I really also liked Morrissey. And at this point, this was unusual in hardcore. Would you say that with Joel, it didn't stop at turning point t-shirts? No. <laughs> it just went right to button ups. Yeah. Whereas everybody else stayed in hardcore t-shirts, Joel went the rest of the way. Yeah. We, we, we adopted the Krishna beads and, uh, <laughs> and the turning point shirts, but then it kind of just kept going. Right. Yeah. But they, I mean, liking the Smiths and liking... Morrissey was was wasn't I mean everyone now like not everyone but I mean it's pretty common for hardcore kids to yeah. find some sort of connection there. Um, back then it really wasn't. Then that was completely different. When I was first getting into music, um, before the skateboarding thing, like I mean I said I never really listened to music and I didn't really, but I did have a tape, and it was one side was U two Rattle and Hum, the other side was Smith Strange Way Here's Come, and it was the oh. only, it was the only thing I ever listened to like for fun before I discovered metal like. So it was just the weird little, and it was, I just kind of carried it with me. I mean, I found like the lyrics were kind of like they were sing-songy, but they're kind of mean, and mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just thought it was. I think honestly, like it's probably like why people watch Downton Abbey nowadays. Like I thought I was just being fancy listening to this band. <laughs> <laughs> the Smiths are the were the Downton Abbey of music. <laughs> I go, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm sure Morrissey would love to hear that. <laughs> But I just thought it was, you know, I thought it was like a cool thing and no one knew what it was like. And I mean, the only, only people that knew who it was are really cute girls. Yeah. So you all had, of that new wave music. The, yeah. The, for me, 
the girls who liked that music was a huge pull towards me giving it a listen. Totally. Because, I mean, the best looking girls I knew in high school were really Absolutely. the Smiths. Smiths, Secure, mm-hmm. Bauhaus. I mean, my God. <laughs> it's like, here's a subject we can talk about yeah. that other people won't. <laughs> What's that? So, with those girls oh I mean, yeah like, absolutely yeah you know in art class we can talk about the girlfriend in a coma video oh my or gosh, we can talk yeah. about new order or we can talk about you know yeah i definitely yeah. fell in love with all that stuff so i mean it's yeah always been something i've enjoyed <laughs> from for, for totally the right reasons You'd be like this is gay no it's not <laughs> yeah yeah you know what you guys keep thinking that <laughs> exactly <laughs> think that forever <laughs> Cool. Okay, so you start this band. Yeah. So they're they're like, oh, you like you were there at the beginning. Great. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. They tried. To, I actually suggested someone for the, to play bass that I knew oh, from they, high school. A girl. Yeah. I can't remember her name right now. Um. She was very nice. Uh. And she was a little older than me. I think. I just was like, oh, do you play bass? Do you want to play with these guys? They're in a band and they play shows. And I think she's like, oh, okay. So she went and tried out, and they said that she just wasn't gonna fit. Like, she, there was just no connection there at all. She's like, they're like, wow, she's a really great bass player, but she just does not get what we want to do. So they asked me if I want to play. I was like, great, let's do it. Never been in a band? Why not? How hard could this be? Well, you had been, but it wasn't. Not a real band. Yeah. Never played a show. So I was in Said Child. We, like I said yes on a Wednesday. We had practice on Friday. And then Seth goes, hey, we just got offered to play a show tonight in Olympia. I said yes. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I learned four songs like four hours ago. <laughs> He's like, well, we got a couple more for you to learn. <laughs> nice. So we packed up and we went down and we played uh, played a show in Olympia at the little space behind the Capitol Theater. Who with? Rice and Bumble Scrump. Nice. And Carp. Yep. That sounds right. Yeah. It was <laughs> It was my very first show. I had been in the band since earlier that morning, basically. Do you remember what year, what month? I don't. It's it was... got to be 92? Yeah, it's in 92. early 93? It's in 92. I want to say it's the summer of 92. I didn't know such child was around that long. Yeah, yeah, around for a while. Okay. And uh, I want to say it was summer 92 because it was in pretty nice weather, and I want to say the school wasn't going on yet because I still had one more year of high school to go. Mm-hmm. You had graduated by the time we left on the tour. Yeah, like I think we, I we, my graduated like a week before we left on tour. That makes sense then. So summer 92. Did you ever go out and take photos in nice clothes with flowers? Yeah, I, my senior photos for senior high school. <laughs> my dad was like, oh, hey, here's your money for your senior photos. And I was like, my senior photos? Fuck. Why am I getting... No, that's stupid. Like, I was already, like, school was already, like, in the fucking rearview mirror as far as I was concerned. I still have a year to go. Right. It's like, no, I'm playing in bands. I'm going on tours. I'm not... I'm done. Like, I don't care the answers to any question you could ask me. It just doesn't matter. I've learned that everyone is stupid. It doesn't matter what I do. (laughs) (laughs) So you went and took... Did did everybody in the band get photos with you? Yeah. Yeah, I told them. I was like, hey, I got to take senior photos. You guys want to take band photos? They're like, yeah, let's do it. And I got to like, it was like a Yang Louie in Monroe or something. Yeah. And uh, we got there with all of us like in fucking costumes. Like we had, like, <laughs> di- we had different outfits. We had like formal and like casual outfits. Yeah. And uh, the guy was like, okay, what do you guys want to do? And I was like, well, I got to take senior photos. So let's just get that out of the way right now. And then we want to take, we want to spend the rest of the package taking band photos. He's like, fuck yeah, let's do it. He was fucking into it. <laughs> he was it. totally stoked. Super huh? into it. He was like, <laughs> I've got places we can go. He like drove us places to like locations. Nice. Okay. So yeah, we took like. People were a little weirded out by that. As they should be. Because people were like, did you see these? Fl- they took pictures of flowers and stuff. Yeah. So that child's weird. Yeah. It was but weird. it was also kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I still had to make a little bit of fun of it though. 
Yes, yeah. I mean, I would have too <laughs> if I wasn't in the band. I thought it was great. I was like, oh no, you actually did though. By that, by the summer of '93, you were making fun of said child. Yeah, and you were still in the band, right? Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was silly. It was taken. It got taken pretty seriously at times, and. I don't know. It's I wasn't fully on board. There was a lot of spite, I think, between said child and undertow. Right. And how does undertow poach you? Because that had to add to the spite. Yeah, I think so. Well, you know, said child was actually playing shows and doing stuff and undertow wasn't like I joined undertow at a time when there had been like a sabbatical or something. Mm -hmm. They hadn't broken up yet, but Seth wasn't going to be in the band anymore. And James was in the band and they were just I think Mark was like, do we keep doing this or do we do something else? And this is why I still feel like a new kid you know, in all of these situations, even though I've been around for 20 something, 22 years now, like in the scene, like I still feel like one of the new kids, <laughs> but he, uh, the, Mark ended up asking like, Hey, you want to play bass and undertow? And I mean, I was like, fuck yes. Oh my God. I want to play bass and undertow. I fucking love undertow. Like I listen to it all the time. Like I have both demo tapes and that fucking split with resolution. Like it's all I care about. I actually remember really loving Joel's voice too over John's. I thought Joel's voice was so much better at the time. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of it was, I think the recordings with Joel were better. Than the recordings with John, they were like dirtier. The the vo- I think because they didn't like Joel's voice, it was quieter in the mix, oh. which I think made it better sounding. Made it sound more just like another guitar, whereas like John's voice was kind of more of that like make sure the vocals are loud, like kind of hardcore recording. Like uh, later Rorschach would do that, where the vocals were really quiet in the mix, and right. it was also because they didn't like Charles' voice, and it turned <laughs> out to be that's the thing that now everyone emulates. Like yeah, Convergence vocals are quiet because that Rorschach record had little quiet vocals. <laughs> So you, do you remember when it was you, you joined Undertow? Yeah, it would have been in the, like I joined Said Child that early summer of 92. So I'm going to say that I joined Undertow in the fall of 92. Okay. Like just after that summer. I mean, to me, it seems like years between. Yeah. But it was probably only like three or four months. Sure. Sure. Getting into winter. Yeah. Cause then we went, um, I actually, so we did some stuff. We wrote some songs in Undertow and then we weren't doing anything. There's no shows. I'd been in the band for a couple months now and I kind of thought like, we're going to start up, learn some songs, start playing shows. I was in said shop for four hours. I started playing shows. What the fuck is wrong with this? Like, and I just didn't know what was going to happen. And it, it just felt like, like John didn't really come to practices or anything. Like it just didn't feel like we really had anything going on. And I was a little like, wow, is this just like the tail end? Am I the guy who's like helping put the nail in the coffin here? So I'd actually quit undertow. And I think that some of it was said child was kind of pressuring me to like not uh-huh. be undertow anymore. Like, what, what are you doing with that? Like, well, you know, I'm fucking 17. I was like, dude, I got nothing else to do. Like I don't, I have a pizza delivery job and I go to, you know, two band practices a week. That's awesome. You didn't have a pizza delivery job yet. I did. I've, I've had a pizza delivery jobs. You didn't drive. Oh, you're right, 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 right. No, no, no. Sorry. You're right. I was, uh, it was after. Yes. It was after the tour. Fuck. You're right. I worked at a taco place. Dairy Queen. That's what I worked at. Dairy Queen. <laughs> Dairy Queen on the Bothell Everett Highway. It's still there. Okay. Now it's all coming back to me. Um, I knew I had some awesome food service job <laughs> in which a visor wasn't required. <laughs> um, so I had, uh, I think I just, because of the pressure from said child, just not doing anything in Undertow, I just decided not to do it anymore. But at the same time, Mark had booked like three shows in Canada. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I'll, I'll play those shows. And then, you know, then we'll figure something out, you know, whatever. So, I mean, Mark was kind of like, no hard feelings, dude, I understand. But if you could play these shows, that'd be great. So went up and we played two or three shows. It might have just been two. I know we play the show, this like youth center. I know we played Nappy Dugout because the photos from Nappy Dugout are the photos of the first, sta- are from the Stalemate 7 Inch. Yep. So. The youth center was the top room behind the hockey rink? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. Um, I will say it was, uh, we played with both Strain and Spark Marker with Ryan singing. 
That sounds right. And when you said you wanted to be in Undertow again or you wanted to stay in the band, did Mark say, no, you quit? No, no, no. He didn't do that. I don't think so. Doesn't that sound right, though? It does like, actually. Like, you made a decision. You have to stick with it. That's kind of Mark's vibe. Yeah, he he may have said something like that. But I think it was. I think he was pretty stoked on having me play because... Like the I think the Dude, youth center show he would did... have done it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> knowing probably that you would still be in the band. Yeah, you needed to squirm. He yeah he might, he probably I mean sure he fucked with me. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I I do remember coming back. I remember talking to him and being like, yeah, I kind of want to do this still. And I th- maybe he'd fucked with me like at one of the shows. But I think coming back, we'd... I'm not even 100 percent sure. It just seems right. Yeah, it seems right. But I, I want to say that on the way back, I was like, I kind of want to do this. He's like, good. I want you to do it. And I was like, great. And that was it. I and mean, we were that was you know. It was final. I still did Sedgehog for a while. And I love that. And it was, that's kind of how things went. John and Ryan were doing their thing and Mark was making decisions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it worked. Yeah, there was, there was no thought to mention it to John or Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> they probably didn't even know I quit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here because I want to get into to stuff where, where we're doing stuff together. So I moved to Seattle in 92 with the idea that I was going to put out the Stalemate 7-inch. Okay. And r- shortly after I got there, they started saying, hey, do you want to do an LP? Mm-hmm. So I was getting very excited about this. I loved Undertow. This was going to be good for excursion. It was, you know, things were going to get bigger and better. And originally, Ron was going to go on tour. Okay. Because there was like a, a, a springtime trip to California with mm-hmm. Ron, remember? So Ron and I were living together. And he was like, dude, we'll go on tour with Undertow. We'll take video cameras. We'll make a video. We'll make a movie about Undertow's tour. I was so excited. I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to make a movie with Ron. We're going to make, it's going to be like another state of mind, but straight edge. We're going to make a, so in my mind, I've got Ron and I are making the straight edge, another state of mind. And then he said he couldn't go on the tour. If you guys could have found the crazy guy from the Seattle show in another state of mind to be in this one, it would have been amazing. You know what like I'm Who talking can about? go see them? Their fans can't see them. <laughs> that guy? Yeah, that guy's amazing. <laughs> they play a bar. When the cramps come through here, they play a bar. Uh, that's who you're talking about, right? That's that's our mayor, I think. I heard Murray there. <laughs> oh, God, I wish. Oh, I fucking wish, too. Okay, so I'm going with these guys. We're going on tour. And so stoked that Spark Mark was going to go. Yeah. Um, started setting up some different things. Mark was mostly booking it all. And I just I was like, look, we just have to do these couple things. Like, we have to, when we get to New York, we have to stay with John Lisa. Mm-hmm. Remember me like, I don't know who this John Lisa guy is. I'm like, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> we have to do that. And he pretty much handled everything else. Between him and Kim, I think the whole tour got, Probably got booked. Probably all with Book Your Own Fucking Life. Was that even going yet? I think so. That was a pre-internet booking, like, every year, there was like a, it was like a phone book of... Just different places, different people who would put on shows, who ran record labels or did zines. Um, Even or, a record store in that town. Or record stores or whatever. It was great. It was a great resource. Mm-hmm. And it was all, um, you could you could book a tour just by having that year's book your own fucking life. It was a good was filter called. because you usually got rid of all those like ridiculous pay to play, mm-hmm. you know, bars that. You oh, there were on. rules about what you could do to be listed in it. Mm-hmm. Um. And so that got put up. But then, so we, we head out on this tour in a van that got purchased. Dan Junkers went with us to yeah. buy a van. Um, Dan Junkers. What's that? I love Dan Junkers. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> he, I got money from Dutch East for, uh, for, for advance money for the LP, I think. And uh, we used that money to buy the van. And we went on tour in this crappy Chevy van that broke mm-hmm. down numerous times on us. Yes, many times. O- only once really badly. In Farmers, Kentucky. In Farmers, Kentucky. But um, so what, so basically, I just want your, 
your main impressions. I want to know how you remember the tour. Because we spent seven weeks in a hot summer in a van with no air conditioning. And I'm, mm-hmm. I didn't, I had never been out on tour with a band before. I had no idea the level of just like vitriol and hatred and anger and just absolute. Like, I didn't know. What, I thought we were going to have fun the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, I, it's one of my favorite experiences of my entire life for sure. Me too. I mean, I remember quite a bit about it. When I think about the bad stuff, I mean, I think about the van breaking down, not knowing what's going to happen next, not having any money. I remember being woefully unprepared for tour. Like I didn't, I think I didn't bring any socks. I'm pretty sure I brought like. Well, you were being reminded by one of the people in the van <laughs> about all the things you'd done wrong. Yeah, Mark. Mark <laughs> was able to keep pretty good tabs on that stuff. I feel like but I he, remember. I feel like I remember things only because of the way Mark reacted to them. Yeah, but I mean, and so thank God. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but to give Mark a lot of credit, I mean, I didn't have clothes with me. <laughs> I brought like a backpack full of tapes a Walkman, like a big box of fucking wickedly perishable food. <laughs> like, I mean, I remember after the... That's I, right, you had a backpack and it didn't have clothes and had tapes. Yeah. <laughs> I was wearing clothes. I carry the clothes on my body. Oh, man. Seven weeks, right? I can wear these for seven weeks. Um. Yeah, it was like I was... I was fucking 17 years old. I'm Every 17-year-old is stupid and I was extra stupid. <laughs> Like insanely stupid. I think I think kids actually nowadays are much smarter than we were back then. But but you know what, seventeen year olds can't do hmm. pile in a van and go <laughs> on tour across the country. That's true. Well, they're, they're smarter than that now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the parents won't let them. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, my I think having very pretty like neglectful father and stepmother <laughs> made it really easy for me to tour because it was really good for you. Yeah, because I could call my dad from like Nevada and be like, oh, hey, dad. He's like, hey, what's up? You coming home tonight? I was like, no, actually, I'll be gone on tour for the next seven weeks. He's like, oh, well, okay, have fun. I did the same thing when I went to Europe. I called him from the plane. I was like, oh, dad, I forgot to mention I'm not going to be home for about five weeks. I'm going to Europe. He's like, oh, okay, have fun. Like, <laughs> Nothing I can do about it. Yeah, that ship has sailed. Or <laughs> So... Yeah, so if I think about that, I mean, I remember Mark and Murph fighting a bit. There was one time where they really screamed at each other. Oh, and, but but Mark and Murph were the least too fighty. Yeah. Because they were like, I always felt like Mark and Murph were like hardcore. They were like a unit, you know? Yeah, they're a unit. And I think they both had the same, they didn't have a lot of patience for like me being stupid. Where <laughs> Murph, I mean, Murph was super nice to me about it, but he was just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> But see, the way you just said it there is is just, that's about almost as much as I would ever expect to hear from Murph. And yeah. it would also be one of the funniest things I ever saw. Oh, yeah. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life, actually. <laughs> Everything he says is funny. Yeah, I just, I just, I don't know. I was so unprepared. I didn't know what I was getting into. And, like, if we sat here with a map and, like, pointed out the tour direction, I could probably remember almost every show in some way. And a lot of crazy stuff happened. Yeah, like, first show in Nampa, Idaho, I had to tie my socks to the back handle of the van because they smelled so bad. <laughs> And, uh, already, already, we just got there. We just got. Like, we'd already broken down. And had a cop come help. Not broken down, but we'd already been pulled over by the cops. And that cop was excited that you guys were a band from yeah. Seattle. Can we give him a record or something? I think we gave him a struggle record. I think so. And he yeah. was so like it. And this was not. This was not indicative of what the rest of the tour <laughs> would go like. 
He comes over, says there's lights out in the back of the van, the van we just bought. <laughs> Mentions there's socks hanging from the hand. <laughs> right. And then says, what are you guys, you know, what is this? Oh, we're a band from Seattle. He just went, really? <laughs> like, I remember, I'm like, oh, God, this is a kid. This is great. This is a kid who's excited. And then he helped us fix the, like, figured out it was a fuse, like, did all this stuff and was like, you guys have a good time. It was like, give him a record. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember being like, dude, this cop should come on tour with us. How fucking awesome would that be? <laughs> And that was not what they were like the whole rest of the time. No, no, most of them were. We ca- and why did we have so many cop experiences? Well, because we're a, a band, a, a, like a van that looks like it's been on fire, full of children <laughs> screaming down the highway. Will you ever forget the sound of a billy club on the hood of the van on Staten Island? Oh, when they woke us up, yeah. Because we were homeless people sleeping in the middle of the street. Yeah, I do remember that. like 95 degree weather. It was so fucking hot. Awful. It's like 7 in the morning. I remember uh, you discovering Arizona iced tea for the first time in New York. You were like, dude, look at this can. I was like, wow, it's a big can. You're like, no, it's a huge can. And it's 99 cents. (laughs) That's cold. Yeah, it was great. I still get excited about those. Yeah. They're awful. I and mean, we could do hours just talking about that tour. I mean, I know, and we're we're way in now. But all right, so we don't have to go go over that. I just I it's fun sometimes to hear another perspective about something that I experienced. So mm-hmm. I just was hoping you would throw something I, out at me that you well, knew from I re- that- I remember I seem to remember like there being a lot of tension between you and Mark more than. But that's not the tour. That's that was me and Mark for years. Just personalities. Yeah. I mean, I. And I love Mark. Oh, yeah. But that's how we did. I mean, I was a guy that was making decisions about stuff, and he was a guy that was making decisions about stuff. And so when they didn't match exactly, mm-hmm. it would you got sparks or whatever. It was fine. It's fine. I did so many things because of Mark. I mean, I was able to get stuff done because of Mark. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we also... Yeah, some buttonheads. We, we, have, we just have a different approach to uh, managing people. Yeah. Or we did at the time. I don't know what now, but yeah. Yeah. But yes, unfortunately... If there was a fight, a lot of times it was the two of us. Yeah, and I remember. But Mark and I also had some of the most fun on that tour. I'm sure. We got we got driving all night. TJ is completely out of our minds, and we were driving into uh, La Conner. Yeah. No, La Crosse, Wisconsin. And, uh, is that Scotty? Is that his name? I th- was that his name? I, I don't know, but as we were driving in, we started making up stories about the people from the surrounding towns because right. we were seeing the signs. <laughs> and so Mark and I were just like laughing like just idiots. Well, because La Crescent is La- right across. La Crescent. The- and we started making up stories about La Crescent girls. Mm-hmm. And then we we weren't out of it when we met Dude. And so we started asking him questions. He was like, how do you know about La Crescent girls? <laughs> we had made up something that apparently was real. You guys also made up uh, that Joey Belladonna was singing for House of Suffering. <laughs> I didn't make that up. Oh, maybe it was Murph and Mark. <laughs> yeah, it was because I didn't know. This is pre-internet, so it was a lot harder to start a rumor, and certainly a lot harder to find out if something wasn't true. Right. Um, and then we ended up hearing that rumor when we got to the East Coast. I was like, "Oh, did you hear Joey Belladonna's <laughs> singing for House of Suffering?" <laughs> Do you remember kickboxing going across the country like fire? What? Like, Kick- like oh yeah, like yeah. being taught. Like we met Clevo, we mm-hmm. met Brian, and. Uh, he basically did a kickboxing lesson in his backyard. Two hours, dude. Like everything was fucking two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Every direction he gave us was, it's just two hours. Yeah. At first we're like, he doesn't know anything. And then everyone like, and then you're like, oh my God, he's just fucking with us. Because <laughs> I can't remember where, it was like Columbus, I think we played. And he met us there maybe. Right. And then he wanted us to come to his place. Yeah. And he's like, it's two hours. And it took like seven hours to get there. Insane. Every time we'd stop for gas, which was like a hundred times because it was so far. <laughs> he's like, no, dude, it's like two hours. Nobody, <laughs> fuck, dude, you said two hours, four hours ago. 
Uh, such the best detour ever. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Did stay in his house was one of my favorite times. Like we got to stay there for a couple days. I think I want to say we had it was like a little uh like a little home base for a second because I think we went to like played Detroit or something and came back. I uh, okay, hold on. I think you're right. And we saw him at other times on the tour. It felt like too possibly. But then he ended up in Seattle, so he yeah. ended up in our lives. But yeah, I see him all the time. Okay, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. We wake up. You and I go wandering oh, down the street. Yeah. Do you remember what happened on that walk? Yeah, I got a free pizza. <laughs> you got a free pizza, but there were, uh, we, we'd walk up to the soda, soda machines. machines. <laughs> okay. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. Three times. Yeah. Tell what happened. So two, two motivations. Uh, one, just to go wander. Mm-hmm. Dave and I hadn't really had a chance to just hang out the two of us. So we just got to go, go wander. And the second was that I was really hungry. And I want to tell my, my, my brilliant plan first. Okay. Tell the brilliant plan. So we were staying at this house. Uh, Joe Barris lived there, who now does a label, or does a label called Small Doses. I don't know if he's still doing it, but he was doing it. Um, great guy. I thought one of the dudes from uh, Promise Ring lived there, too. Yeah. It was a like, big house. I, was, like, I think at that time, it was maybe Captain Jazz? Right. So no, it wasn't Promise I, Ring yet, but yeah, later. I, but anyway, yeah, we stayed with those guys, and uh, we had pizza the night before. And I was starving. I had no money at all. We had a $5 per diem every day, and I don't think I was going to get it until that night. I had zero money, and I was fucking hungry as shit. So I noticed the pizza we got from the night before. You didn't even drive. Why would you get $5? Yeah, and why would I get hungry? I'm not doing all that <laughs> calorie-burning steering. <laughs> so <laughs> I see the pizza box from this place in Madison has a thing. Like, if you collect 10 box tops, you get a free one-topping pizza. I was like... Dave, I need to fucking food. I got to go get some pizza. So I cut those box tops off and we realized the pizza place is like 10 blocks down the street, this big, big road. And I was like, I'm going to go through every dumpster between here and that pizza place. I'm going to find these box tops. And I did. And I got a pizza with broccoli. So anyway, <laughs> on the way, was it you or I pushing the buttons? You. Yeah, okay. On the way, I think I'd said something like, I'm going to go up to this and I'm going to get a free soda. <laughs> and I pushed the Dr. Pepper button and fucking Dr. Pepper pops out. It's like, that's weird. So drinking Dr. Pepper and we we come up to another soda machine. Because also, I I don't think soda machines just being on the street is ubiquitous as it used to be. Right. (laughs) But, you know, back then it was. It was every couple blocks on this walk. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, soda machine. Time to get one for Dave and hit the button. Sure enough. And you you hand me a soda and I'm watching you. You're not putting money in it. You're telling me you're going to get free pizza. You're going to get free sodas. You're finding it. You're finding box tops that you said you would find on the walk (laughs) to the pizza place. And you're just willing sodas out of machines. Yeah. You did the soda machine thing three times. Yeah. I didn't want to test fade after that. Right, because after the third time, it's just like, what the hell? He's magic. Yeah, that, it's, not, then it's not like people were watching. So, someone was skipping down the street ahead of us, just putting money in machines, doing the like pay it forward thing or something. Maybe, but it's a college town too. I mean, it could just be like drunk college kids are like, I need a soda, put in fifty cents. I need a soda, put in fifty cents, and then like <laughs> eventually hit the button to get the soda after putting a ton of money into the but machine. But that was that was one of the more surreal moments on the tour for me. It was and, I just, and, and it also just made me think that you were just absolutely magical. Like, Damien can just do anything. It's possible. I mean, I'm a skeptical guy, but I've never put this to test, so. And then I'm quite certain I was disgusted with you for putting broccoli on your pizza. I, you know what? I needed something of value. I just drank fucking two sodas <laughs> at like nine in the morning. <laughs> and I was going to get a giant thing of bread with cheese on it. And I was like, 
you know, and I don't eat meat. So I was like, fuck, what am I going to put on this? I guess broccoli. I just, I think, I think my mind went to like, what's the vegetable? <laughs> well, and then I believe I was still recovering from um, my injury. What was your injury? I don't think you were in the van when they slammed, when Mark slammed on the brakes and I came flying off the top <laughs> and hit the console <laughs> and they didn't know. So I'm asleep. Oh, I love this. Story. I'm asleep on the loft <laughs> and uh, there's a train track and Cleo or whoever's driving too fast. So Mark realizes he's not going to make it. So he slams on the brakes and everything that was, and this is like people's bags and other sleeping bags. All the but I was completely asleep. Um, <laughs> comes off the top and I come off the top and my head hits the console, the center console between the two seats Which is like, in the back and then folds me over Which and is like then eight feet and I come horrible. I shouldn't, I, my neck should have been broken. So, and I, I, and then everything hits on top of me and I slump down upside down with my legs over the top in that middle part between the two seats. And they, I think since all this stuff comes forward, it's almost like it was an accident, but it wasn't. And they're like, Oh, and then I, I do remember hearing Dave, like where they realized <laughs> that in that pile of stuff between them was me and that large thunk when I was the back of my head hitting. So I pull me out and I can't breathe. I've got the air knocked out of me and I'm, you know, and I'm scaring the fuck out of Mark because mm-hmm. he was driving and he actually thought it killed me. Right. Yeah. So, you know, are you okay? And I, once I catch my breath, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm laying on the seat and I reach back and I pull my hand forward and there's blood on my hand from the back of my head. And I'm like, oh, that's just a little cut. And I remember I was totally just willing the damage to not be there. But for the next 24 hours or so, I was asleep a lot. Like you're not supposed no. to do that. I was definitely asleep a lot. Yeah. I think, I think you were magical. But I, I, you know, and I just kept saying, like, I didn't really know the extent of the injury on the back of my head, but I'm like, well, it's not that much blood. It's I'm fine. I'm fine. If I'm hurt, the trip's maybe over, you know, I <laughs> yeah. have to. And so I just, and it was, yeah, that was, that was early into the trip. That was, so the thing is our walk is one of the first, cause I feel like they're right connected, right? That was right after it was right around there for sure. I mean, cause I, that's my first actual clear memory after the injury. Yeah. <laughs> so also, yeah, if, if, if any of these timelines seem weird, I, I should also remember that we didn't really just draw like a straight line, like from here to New York down to, but, yeah. Oh, we were weaving all over. The place. Yeah. We we're backtracking, a day you know it's like we were going all over the place to hit shows and we it wasn't like oh we've got to make sure we play with so-and-so on a friday in this town like there wasn't any of that it was just like there's no show that night okay we'll find another show like and gas was like 80 cents a gallon so do gives you a shit. remember i'm gonna throw a couple things out and we'll get off this tour do you remember seeing the fight in the street outside of abc no rio or were you inside i was definitely inside i remember hearing about it <sighs> one of the most vicious things i've ever seen in my life yeah i was like oh people can fight like that <laughs> yeah i think i was probably watching ted franco <laughs> That sounds right. <laughs> do you remember going looking for alligators? Yes, I do remember. I remember finding alligators. <laughs> do you remember? I was trying to throw reeds at them. Yeah. Because I wanted the alligator to come out of the water. Yeah. Everybody got kind of bummed. <laughs> well, it's I just... didn't want to find an alligator. <laughs> I wanted to run from an alligator. Yeah. You you weren't clear about your, your desires, I think. And that was where we had a slight disagreement. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you weren't very happy about that, huh? I just, it, we just wanted different things, Dave. <laughs> Another one's going to happen to you, your magic. Yeah, that's apparently true. I still thought it was amazing that you could, there could be a little alligator right there. Like I a dinosaur, it, just right, right there. there. And look, and I can pick this reed and I can throw it and hit it in the eye. <laughs> yeah. And I think VAR, somebody was like, yeah, you probably, yeah, you know. 
No, come up out of there. <laughs> I was just like, good. Yeah, they 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 don't they don't think they're not allowed on land. They eat like cats all the time. <laughs> I am a to this day. I I I believe I could beat an alligator. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. I I've, just think I'd outrun it. Yeah, but even if I caught you, you know. This is what I was talking about about how it could be dangerous to believe things that aren't true. <laughs> This is one of those examples. <laughs> All right. So we come home from the tour, unless there's anything else you want to remember from the tour. No, I mean, you know, it's if being a first tour, you know, I learned a lot, obviously. I'm 17. I turned 18 on the tour. Did you swim in Virginia Beach at that place where people were running and jumping in the water? The runoff of the nuclear reactor? <laughs> I think that's what it was, right? And the water was super warm, yes. <laughs> oh, so you did go in? Yeah. I didn't go in because I can't remember his name, the kid who we stayed with. Kurt. Kurt, because I asked him about, because I remember I was always concerned about the wildlife. Mm-hmm. I asked him about snakes. He goes, ah, there's water moccasins sometimes. <laughs> and I went, yeah, fuck, nope. That's no water for me. Not doing it. So you all ran and jumped. In I don't think I knew. Of, I don't think I knew about that. So I probably wouldn't have gone in. You guys either. ran in some kind of nuke sewer. Yeah. And then we went walking back out. And we were with Engine Kid. Yes. Remember, we met up with yeah. Engine Kid on the beach. Right. We're walking one way. We're walking north on the beach. They're walking south yeah. on the beach. And we just ended up looking at each other. Do like, we play the show together? Only because they got on the show after they met us on the beach because they had had something cancel. Oh, okay. It wasn't planned. Was that when Jade was playing drums or was it still Chris? Vanderbrook was there because if you remember, as we're, Vanderbrook, who I've got history with in Bellingham, mm-hmm. <laughs> so as we're walking out of that, down that dark road... All of a sudden, a big bright light comes on, and a voice goes, freeze! And everybody froze, except Vanderbilt kept walking. Yes, that's right. He He went, fuck you, and then got (laughs) tackled by the cop. Yeah. (laughs) He Of all of us, he was the one whose instant reaction was, bullshit. All the rest of us knew exactly what was going on. (laughs) Nice fake costume. (laughs) That was really a cop. So then we had to stand. If you remember, they literally pulled a branch out of the way to reveal the sign that said no trespassing. Oh. It was like a movie or something. So how are we supposed to see that? There's branches in front of it. And there was they and they were really, really concerned. All the rest of us, they knew basically we're just going to get these people in their van. They're going to go. Mm-hmm. But we had, there were a couple locals and Kurt and Kurt was too young to be out after curfew. I was too. I'm you seven. were too, but you were from Seattle. Yeah. Like, what were they going to do? You know? I remember John got mad at me because they're like, anyone here not 18? I was like, well, I'm not. Like, like, <laughs> I'm not, officer. What do you want? You want? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> John's like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I was like, what the fuck, man? Why would you tell him that? And I was like, because he asked a question. I told him the answer. Like, I don't know. I don't know your guys' ways. <laughs> But so Kurt definitely had to, I believe he kept saying that he was 18 and didn't have his ID. Yeah, and he did too. And I, we're just going home, man. And they didn't believe him for a minute. But we got out of it. Yeah. Those were probably the second best cops on the whole trip. Yeah. I'm, they, I wish they had been like, hey, dummies, that comes out of a nuclear reactor. I don't even know why we have to have a sign here. <laughs> I, to this day, I mean, until just right now, I never knew that part of the story. Oh, I, you know, who? maybe it's not even real. It's one of the things maybe I've been led to believe. Someone could have, I could be like, wow, this water's so warm. Like, oh, it's from the new reactor. That's not true. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) I wasn't going anywhere near it because of snakes. I'm 17. I hope there's a cop to talk to later. (laughs) (laughs) He'll tell me the truth. (laughs) All right. So we come home from this tour completely just out of our minds from being gone for seven weeks and having no idea what it was going to be like. Yeah. I remember the whole South, except for a couple of these things we've mentioned, is just kind of a blur because I was losing my mind. 
Yeah, you I wanted blueberry pancakes. You weren't getting blueberries. That's just what I was gonna say. <laughs> and Mark got in a fight with a fucking guy that owns a record store, and you didn't get blueberry pancakes. He got in a fight with a guy in a record store. Yeah, like Mark got his. We got our shit ripped off in New York. Remember? Oh yeah, we yeah. didn't. I bet Murph and John and mm-hmm. Mark. I think all stuff did. got stolen out of the van. One of Mark's guitars, Murph's backpack that had like his retainer and stuff in it. A bunch of CDs. That great CD case that we had for the first mm-hmm. part of the trip. Yeah. And uh, we went to that record store, and we were looking around, and it was, you know, definitely more expensive than Fallout. Bleaker Bobs. Was that what it was called? Is that what it was? I don't know. Okay. And I remember Mark mentioning that, like, he's like, I'm just going to wait till we get back. You know, we're all buying stuff. Like, there's like, you know, six of us or whatever in the store, or five of us in the store. And, uh, you know, most of us are about to buy something. And uh, Mark, go, you know, I say like, oh, Mark, you need to get anything? And he's like, nah, th- it's a little expensive here. I'm just going to wait till we get back to sale. And the guy goes, well, why don't you get the fuck out of the store? And Mark goes, excuse me? <laughs> It's like, you're not going to buy anything, get out. And we're all, like, getting ready to pay money to this guy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And Mark's like, excuse me? He's like, uh, we're shopping. He's like, not you. You said you're not going to buy anything. And we're like, now we're putting all the stuff back, oh, you know? what an idiot. And Mark, and I think Mark said something like, he goes, he goes okay, I'll, I'll leave. But, you know, just to ask, do you, do you teach a class on how to be such an asshole? <laughs> 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 and Mark's like, you know, fucking 19 years old. And this guy's probably like, fuck you, you little shit. Oh, yeah. But he would totally say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was great. I mean, Mark is kind of my hero in a lot of ways. <laughs> like I, like you said, I'm, I'm nodding yeah. profusely here. But, you know, it makes for great radio. I mean, Mark, John, and Ryan, and you, I mean, definitely, that was like... Well, thanks for putting me in that list. What? I was in the van with you, but... Yeah. <laughs> so you get to be on the list. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just a fucking awesome, awesome thing. And I grew up a ton. I was, you know, there was a lot of times where I got, you know, scolded, essentially, for being a child. <laughs> I, I remember, like... By people that were essentially children. Yeah, but, you know, like, I was... With a couple years on you. Yeah, I had... You guys had, like, come... Or maybe you weren't there, but, like, they had, like, come to my high school graduation, like, just minutes before tour, basically. <laughs> I think it was, like, a week or so, but, like, you know, it was, like, right at the same time. And I, you know, like any kid come out of high school with absolutely no intelligence or knowledge of any kind. And, you know, at one point, I remember Mark's, like, furious at me because he thinks I'm acting like a baby or something because I'd say something like... Like we were sitting in a in a restaurant, and all of a sudden, like, oh my god! I just it just occurred to me. It took like a really long time to cross the Atlantic like, back when they used to take boats. <laughs> and he's like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, are you acting like a, a moron on purpose?" I was like, "I'm not. It just occurred to me." Like, <laughs> See, but I don't think that's. I would have been like, "Oh yeah, let's talk about it." Yeah, I mean, I you know, it was for me that's like pre stoner talk, and I'm just like. <laughs> Like, fuck, dude, have you ever really looked at your hands? You know, it was like one of those kind of things. And, you know, he just wasn't, he had very little patience. <laughs> no time for it. So after we got back, how much longer were you in said child? Not long. They had had a bass player uh, fill in for me when I was gone, this kid Greg. And uh, we came back and I kept playing in the band, I think, for almost a year. And I think I had sort of changed my sort of appearance. You know, I was going through, yeah, I was looking for my my identity like anyone who's 17 years old and I kind of like started just dressing more hardcore more I mean a lot of it was I think that tour was it just became it wasn't reasonable to try to like wear button-up shirts and keep them clean and nice pants and stuff in 120 degree heat it just it was like you know what fuck this I'm gonna wear shorts and t-shirts and that's you know maybe shoes like that's it (laughs) like and I just got more, com- I was more comfortable. And that's also all of the free clothes I got to have on that tour was all band shirts because I didn't bring any fucking clothes with me. So my entire wardrobe becomes 
channel and julia shirts and stuff like that so you know that's what i'm uh that's what i come home to that's what i'm wearing now and you know i didn't really i kept playing with said chow but i was definitely like the odd man out in that band and we'd still play shows with undertow and i'd play you know two bills in the night and i thought that was great i mean for me it was awesome i loved playing and i liked the songs it was certainly the last said child songs were awesome i mean in my mind i don't remember what they were in real life but they got much heavier and more interesting and Joel's voice got a lot better like i really wish i could have recorded those and then uh just in that time i think a said child lp would have been a very cool thing yeah it would have been but in that time uh seth and joel quit being straight edge or joel quit being straight edge but seth had quit being straight edge and i i remember like he sent ron his x swatch yeah. in the mail yeah. with like a resignation letter so lame but what's even <laughs> lamer Wait, is that hold on okay <laughs> from what perspective are you saying so lame <laughs> lame that he sold out no lame that he <laughs> lame that he would think lame that it mattered i guess i guess this is a thing like <laughs> one of the things about straight edge that and i don't know if we're gonna get to like why i'm not straight edge anymore or anything because i don't really have a reason but i mean one of the well, things i got a picture of you and i uh we took a fake yeah we, we got caught drinking photo yeah. um and at the time it was funny yeah <laughs> yeah i know i i, I look like a baby tadpole <laughs> We'll put that one up on here. Don't uh, worry. Please do. Um, but I mean, I remember like really caring who was straight edge and who wasn't. It was right. like, you know, I mean, it's silly now to think about like that mattered a lot. But I think there was like, there was your friends in hardcore and punk rock. And then there was like when you, but your straight edge friends were like, we all sort of had this secret agreement that mm -hmm. we were like extra special friends. And you were backing up a lifestyle choice that was hard for people to understand. Mm -hmm. it's like veganism or vegetarianism or, or any of those things it's like you you're, you're making yourself part of a much smaller group you're ridiculed by a lot of people on the outside that don't understand it maybe even within your family and so the people that say yes i'm with you become just vitally emotionally important to you yeah it's it's true it's kind of like a 12-step program without having to have to go through a 12-step program. Right. <laughs> but, you know, so it, it really mattered. Like, oh, Walter Schreifels isn't straight edge anymore. Holy shit. Like, let's talk about this for a couple weeks. And, you know, fucking Kent McClard had a glass of wine. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if that happened, but... <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I think the glass of wine was uh, Ray, wasn't it? Maybe. I know uh, Kent McClard did have goldfish, and that was a big thing. Like, people people uh, thought that it was fucked up that he had goldfish. <laughs> because <laughs> he was enslaving animals yes <laughs> it's serious <laughs> we had not a lot to think about <laughs> oh man i know so you know it just so seth quit being straight edge and i think to me seth was someone i'd really like kind of looked up to because he did said child and he also did undertow and he really liked heavy music and he really liked hardcore and he really liked morrissey and he just he just like he was following a path i thought was cool and i just thought stuff was cool and I'd like, so what's even lamer than what Seth did is I wrote like a letter telling them like, but this was years later, not years later. This is like months later, probably. I mean, I was in, I don't think I was in said child for more than like maybe a year. Well, you're talking about leaving said child. You're talking about selling out me drinking. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. I'm talking about leaving said child, leaving said child. Okay. Seth, no, Seth I... quit being straight edge and that's what made me quit said child. Oh, 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 okay. I'm sorry. I thought yeah. you had gone to when you quit straight edge. I'm like, no, it wasn't a couple oh, no, no. months. Man. I just didn't, I didn't know if we were going to get into that, whether it's important or not. But um, at the time, it like affected me. And I was just like, no, this is like, this is our thing. We do this together. Like, 
And I maybe just, I, I think also like, I also maybe found it a little convenient. Like, oh, I can quit said child now. <laughs> like for, now I've got a reason, a totally ridiculous, just, stupid you reason. You just waiting for the reason. I, yeah. Possibly. It's hard to say. I mean, again, I was a, I was a little kid. It's hard to know exactly what my motivations were, but I'm sure they weren't very well thought out. I mean, it, again, leaving, creating music is certainly very important to me. So the idea that like someone making a personal choice about their own life, having some, having like a massive effect on me. I mean, I was so you know naive though. I might've been like, Oh, Seth's going to be just shooting heroin at his eyeball tomorrow. Now, like <laughs> that's going to make the band totally hard to deal with. So who knows like exactly what I was thinking at the time. I'm sure it was irrational, but right. like mm-hmm. I had wrote him this letter, but I still stayed friends with them. Like when I hung out at their apartment in the U district. Yeah. And I remember like in the letter at some point I had written, Seth was my idol. So stupid. But then I came over to their house once and they had all, they all worked at Kinko's. They had blown up that line gigantic from the letter, like fucking six feet long and had it up on his wall. Like, what dicks? <laughs> and he was like, oh, you weren't supposed to see that. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? He goes, oh, I thought it was really cool. I was like, oh, man. I am so lame. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Seth. I hope this is too. awesome. I think he, he might be. Might be. Seth's awesome. Oh, yeah. No, we've, it hasn't been too long, I think, since we had a little back and forth, you know, on the Facebook. Yeah, I know. I wish I kept better touch. I was in uh, down in Oakland a year ago, a year and a half ago. I, I hope yeah. some point he's going to be on this microphone giving that his would be version awesome. of events. I'd like to hear about the uh, six foot. Seth. He's probably going to be like, it was like a foot long. It was not big. <laughs> I mean, it probably was, but I know that, you, you know, you guys had those fucking banner machines there. Oh, yeah. I know it was, okay, it was um, laminated. So maybe that will put a limit of size for you in your mind. Well, laminations machines are off a roll, too. Okay, there you go. Fuck, man. He probably still has it, too. I hope so. You know he does. I would have that. Okay. You've been here in the Northwest ever since. Mm -hmm. You never moved away for any amount of time, right? No. After Undertow. Yes. You did Nine Iron Spitfire. I did. I was actually started at the same time. Oh, they were both going at the same time? Were they? No, no, they weren't. I'm sorry, that's not, that's not true. I thought it was almost right after. It was, like, probably within, you know, months, though. Undertow had played with Dead Guy at John Hiltz's house in New Jersey on the 94 tour with Unbroken, and I got to know Keith Huckins there, and through Keith, just discovered a whole new world of music of, like, you know, 90s noise rock stuff, Craw and, mm-hmm. you know, Chrome and Jesus Lizard and all this stuff that I ended up really, really loving. So, yeah, after Undertow, like, I wanted to kind of go that direction. But... For a while, though, it was still Mark and John. Mm-hmm. Like you were still, you know, Niner Spitfire had a lot of lot of undertow sort of vibe to it at yeah. first. Yeah, we'd all really like. We all definitely bonded on like Dead Guy as being like a like we. I mean, that Dead Guy seven inch came out and it was super noisy and weird, and we we're just like, "Fuck, this is something brand new. Like this is crazy." And uh, you know, we tried to emulate that as well we could, and it did not go so well. <laughs> It was okay. I mean, I'm not saying the band was bad. I'm just meaning the emulation was just weird. It was definitely right. like more towards the undertow thing than I had thought it would be. Right. You know, like perspective's always weird. Like I tell my friend Shane, I was like, dude, undertow shows are so fucking crazy. Like I'm just going berserk on stage. You have no idea. And then like, he's like, oh my God, that sounds so cool. And I was like, it is so cool. You can't wait to see this. I got to show you a video. I show him a video and we're sitting there and I'm just staring at it for a while. I'm like, so... I'm just standing still. <laughs> He's like, yeah. He goes, why is it so crazy? Why do you think it's so crazy? I go, I don't know. Like in my mind, and I think I told him like, I go, in my mind, I just imagine myself like in the air spinning on fire. <laughs> You're talking about undertow, not nine irons. Undertow shows. Yeah. I'm just saying like in my, my recollection is always so selective. I have an old nine iron spitfire show in the basement of the Aurora house. Mm-hmm. I'll try to 
get that put up on YouTube. Please to do. go along with this episode so I can link from your page to that. I'm probably doing like fake crazy face or something. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's definitely John singing. Okay. So it's before John left the band because at some point John left the band and you started singing. Yes. Yeah, Ryan Fredrickson was playing guitar. Morgan was playing bass because Ryan Kraft had quit playing. Morgan, who ended up in the Blood Brothers. The Blood Brothers and Fleet Foxes and, and Cave Singers yeah, and all that stuff, stuff yeah. yeah. Um, and Dan Dean played drums. And yeah. Yeah, we start, we, yeah, we start with Mark on guitar and Ryan Kraft on bass. And then Mark moved away to being Shift. I was also in Dempsey at the same time um, with, yeah, with Mark and Eric Kinder and, oh my God. Ben. ben. <laughs> I was like, ben. yeah, I can't forget Ben's name. No, Ben, of course. Right. So for a while ben we is. had Dempsey and Niner and Spitfire. Yeah. Post Undertow. And I was also in Nothing Left. And you were in Nothing Left. I did. There's a couple of shows where I played all three bands in one show. Nice. Yeah. I should chat from Strife was in Niner and Spitfire for a little while too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Forgot about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I did all that, that stuff at the same time. Then Mark moved away and Dempsey quit being a band and Nothing Left was just sort of the on again, off again thing. That I did with my roommate Zach Aubrey at sure. the time and Murph. It's a great record out there. Oh, people can get. Thanks. Uh, I think yeah, Andrea from Mercy Devils and Pretty Girls Make Graves was in the band for a while. Dan Gallucci played bass for like a minute. Um, Dan Dean played bass for a minute. Like, there, I think the back of the seven inch has listed everyone who's in the band. Like right. Paula from Whipped sang on the record. <laughs> like awesome. it was a it was a weird little band like punk band. I was really into Ass Suck at the time and I was trying to do that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so started singing for Nine Iron Spitfire. Is it safe to say that basically once that happens, once John leaves Nine Iron Spitfire and you start singing, mm-hmm. your musical direction in terms of the, the band stuff you did changed? It went away from hardcore and went more into the kind of noise rock stuff that you yeah, like, in. Yeah, whatever Yeah, that, that genre is called. But yeah, definitely. like That's the thing. See, I haven't always known how to put my finger on it. You know? I don't know either. And so how long after um, all that stuff, did Kiss Goodbye happen? Well, I did. Kiss Goodbye moved out here. I was, like I said, I was friends with Keith and Tim. Um, I was Dead Guy's roadie uh, when at kind of the height of Dead Guy when it was Tim Singer and Keith Hawkins. And, fixation on a, fixation on a yeah. co-worker. Yeah, they, that that had not quite come out yet, but it was, um, they had two seven inches out and that record had was like, I he had had the mock-ups for the layout, like in the van with us. And I, I'd actually been the tour manager for, after... In 95, I was a tour manager for 108 and Bloodlet and Coalesce, and I toured the country with them, and I had no plans to come home. I was just going to go to New York and just live there. Like, I wasn't, I mean, I had all my stuff in Seattle still, but I was just like, I don't have a plane ticket home. The tour ends in New York. I'm just going to get off the, you know, get out and start walking and contact some friends and hang out and see what happens. Like, that was my goal. Just see what, see what happens. See what life takes me. But I got to Florida and Bloodlet and 108 and Goles are all playing a show with Dead Guy. And I know Keith and I'm talking to Keith and we're having a good time. And at this point, someone at the club's like, hey, are you Damien? Like, yeah, they go, there's a phone call for you. And I think that's how it happened. Like Mark had basically tracked me down because there were you know, no cell phones, no internet or anything. Yeah. And uh, gets in touch. And he's like, hey, dude, so we're going to go to Europe and it's in like a month and you got to get home. I was like, I have no way home. He's like, well, you got to get home. You got to get a passport. and You got it ready. because This gonna is go. Undertow. And this is Undertow. Okay. We've broken up. We're done. But They're, now you're going to go to Europe. We're now we're going to go to Europe. We're going to do one of those moves that everyone does. <laughs> and I was like, okay, sounds great, man. Let's do it. Like, I would love to go to Europe and I like playing Undertow. So let's do it. So I talked to dead guys like, hey, do you guys go to Seattle? They're like, yeah. Do you want to be our rodeo? Yeah, they're great. We don't have rodeo. I was like, awesome. So like, just like the Coke machines, it works out perfect. <laughs> let's point something out real quick. <laughs> when you say we did one of those moves that everyone does because we were broken up, 
you'd been broken up for a, a couple of months at best. It's a long time in that. It's a long time <laughs> in that period of time, but it's not like the band's been broken up for three or four years. Yeah, and yeah. then you start getting calls from the festival circuit. Right. You were... I know, I just... You were broken up in thought. Like, Undertow had actually been broken up in the past I th- for longer than that, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I think in my mind, like, I was pretty heartbroken by the breakup of Undertow. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't something I wanted. So it was a big deal to And you. it wasn't something I saw coming. Like, it just... I, I honestly don't even totally remember how it happened. I just remember it happened. And I was like, fuck. Okay. What do I do? It was like after a show, I think we went to the Denny's in Redmond after the Redmond, it was a Redmond Y show. And I just remember like not really being sad so much as just like, okay, fuck, what do I do now? Let's start going through options. So anyway, yeah. So, so yes, we had been broken up for a short period of time, but to me, that's why I was like, well, fuck it. I'm not in a band. I'm going to still go on tour with my buddies and bloodlet and sure. Know. Sure. So, so you came back out with, with dead guy, with came dead back, guy. came home with dead guy, toured with them for about four weeks back to Seattle. And then we hung out in Seattle for a while. They hung out with Gray Anderson. Like I got to introduce them to a bunch of cool people. And we, Tim and Keith were just like, fuck Seattle rules. I mean, when you come to Seattle in July or August, you're like, this is the most amazing place in the world. And it really is. <laughs> it's so nice. It doesn't rain. It smells right. good. There's trees and grass everywhere. Nothing's on fire. Like it's just a nice place <laughs> to be. And then you move here in, you know, October and then you're like man it's still so kind of nice and then here. you're in for the long yeah haul. And then you got nine months of dog shit weather <laughs> <laughs> and you know and it, the people don't always hack it but yeah so they they decide they want to move here and half the other re- rest of that guy's like fuck you guys we don't want to move away from New Jersey we love New Jersey for some reason so they start a new band called Kiss a Goodbye and they move to Seattle yep I'm doing Niner Spitfire Niner Spitfire goes on a tour with Botch and Ink and Dagger around the country you were driving also for a pizza place. Yes. I was working at a Kinko's. Mm-hmm. Because Botch and I and Spitfire go on tours just a little bit further, mm-hmm. a little bit further than the story. And I wanted, I wanted to say this thing because I, I mentioned it earlier. I teased it earlier in the mm-hmm. episode. You used to come visit me at Kinko's in the middle of the night when I was working graveyard. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. And I think you might have been the person who brought me the Kiss a Goodbye demo. Probably. Red, red cover mm-hmm. cassette demo. But I, I, I would be in there just completely stressed out because there was always so much work to do in that place. It was a Bellevue, Mm -hmm. uh, Kinko's. I was working graveyard. No one would come in in the middle of the night, but it was like, I'd come in with 10 hours to do like 15 hours worth of work. So I'd just be freaking out. Then you would come in and you'd be all happy. (laughs) And then they'd be like, oh, this is great. David's coming to hang out with me. Right. So Dave, so you coming in and I remember one night you were like, I got pulled over by the cops and this Mm -hmm. is right. You had just started driving. Right. And you were doing, you were doing the pizza delivery and then you would come over afterwards uh, do you remember why you got pulled over? I do. Why did you get pulled over? From my perspective, I got pulled over because I was listening to Sunny Do Real Estate. <laughs> From the cops' perspective, it was because I was driving 75 miles an hour. <laughs> Singing <laughs> Sunny Day Real Estate at the top of your lungs, not having any idea how fast you were driving through not at all. a downtown street? No, it was it was the freeway. Oh, but, you were on the freeway? But I, it was, you know, Bothell in the middle of the night. I mean, there's no other car. I mean, even if I was going one mile over the speed limit, he probably would have pulled me over just for something to do. Right. And you didn't get ticketed. No, he thought it was funny because I told him why. You told him that you were singing. I go, oh, I was singing along with the song I really like and I wasn't paying attention. He's like, that's fine, whatever. (laughs) Just slow down. I was like, okay. But that's what Sunny Day Real Estate will do to you. It was good, man. It was really good. That Thief Simile P7 inch was like amazing when that first came out. And then this was, I was singing along to Seven when it was on the radio. Yeah. You were probably listening to the end. Yeah. The record hadn't quite come out yet. I was just counting the minutes because, man, I was so fucking geared up for that record. <laughs> I was way on board. I love that band. They're so good live. 
And I mean, I never saw them later after they started up again. Okay. But at the time, though, they were playing shows that you could have seen. Yeah, I saw them at the uh, the Velvet Elvis. But there was also one in like uh, in the CD somewhere where they actually played. This was pre Jeremy Enoch where they played with Jawbreaker. I did not go to that one. I know. Okay. They were they actually called Chewbacca Kaboom. They were called Chewbacca Kaboom. <laughs> yeah, I remember the flyer. I didn't go to the show though. I'd, <laughs> I was love Jawbreaker. I think I saw them in Olympia like the next day. Right. That actual that show. I have an embarrassing story about that show. Okay. It's just super embarrassing for me. It's that little same place that I had played with Carp yeah, and the, Rice. The back room. Yeah. Is that what it's called? No. It was okay. just the back room of a bigger theater, wasn't it? Well, it it wasn't even the back room. It was across the alley. Oh, okay. It was like if you left the back of the Capitol Theater, across the alley was just a like a garage, like okay. a big square concrete block. And there was, I think it had been some sort of garage because it did have like a concrete stage or something. So I'm watching Jawbreaker and I was like, I, I love this band. I want to film them. So I'm like standing right in front videotaping. But it's a super janky camera that you have to keep plugged in. And it's a super janky place for them to play. So, like, all of the power is plugged into the same power strip. <laughs> and in the middle of the song, at one point, I just rip out the power to the entire club using my uh, video camera. All the lights go out. I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> did people know you did it? Yes. <laughs> people absolutely knew I did it. And I just put my camera down and enjoyed the rest of the show without being the idiot with the camera. And then but that also means that that entire thing is on camera. It well, it's it's definitely all on camera because James Bertram was sitting up in the loft with his video camera that did not need to be plugged in, videotaping my humiliation. So that footage is out there, <laughs> probably. I've been in that loft. I might have been at that show. Did yeah. they play with at that show? I don't remember. They played with Jawbreaker. That's all I know. The way that guy plays bass is the reason that I played bass that way in Undertow. Ah. Like he plays really hard with a pick and like really strums all the strings and really goes for it. That's, sure. That's exactly what I modeled myself after. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. And Blake really liked us too. You know, we played with Jawbreaker on that tour. On that tour, South Dakota, we met yeah. up and that was great. That was a nice little bringing together of worlds. Yeah. It was like they were on tour with Bare Minimum, I think. Oh yeah. Bare Minimum played that show too. Yeah. Yep. They were good dudes. And like, that was back when sh- bands like that could play with bands like Undertow, and it would be cool. And they were like, oh, you guys are rad, like Negative Approach or something, which we don't sound like them at all, but it was like... But please. seriously, a band like that and guys like that could have been like, who were these kids? Straight Edge, really? Yeah. But that's not how those guys were. No. They were always very cool. Yeah. Well, Straight Edge also was, I don't know, it feels cooler back then. It was, <laughs> not, cool, it was cooler back then? I don't know. Not that it was... I mean, when I was cool, Straight Edge, it was extra cool. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly well, I'm pretty like, sure Straight Edge kind of ceased to exist after you sold out, right? Well, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more cashed in, I guess. Because <laughs> every time I buy a six-pack of beer, one of them is just stuffed with wads of money. Because you know how it is. You know how it is when you go to a, a Coke machine, you get free Cokes. I, I had the same thing I with I forgot beer. about your magic. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. You got free drinks the way you got free Cokes? I suppose I do. Just being pretty. So you're in Kiss It Goodbye. Yes. Talk about uh, basically what you've done with music since that point. Okay. Well, I did Kiss a Goodbye. Uh, recorded, we recorded a 7-inch that was supposed to be for Sub Pop. And then right after we recorded, Tim Singer decided he didn't want to be in the band anymore. And so and essentially breaking up the band. Like Keith leaving the band because he didn't want to play guitar in Kiss a Goodbye anymore. And me joining was one thing. But then, you know, the singer leaving, of course, is an entirely different thing. So that Sub Pop decided since we weren't going to be a band anymore that they would like to pass it on to another label and Revelation agreed to take that on so we went in we actually finished one more song and gave it to Revelation and it became that EP then Kiss Goodbye was done and Andrew and I wanted to still keep playing together so we formed uh, Playing Enemy which at first was Ashley from Ink and Dagger playing bass myself playing guitar and singing and Andrew 
drumming. And then we went through a few more bass players. Ryan Fredrickson, Morgan played bass on a tour for us. Um, none of these people really is full-time members just helping us out. Like Morgan was doing Blood Brothers full-time. He couldn't be in a much less successful band as well. <laughs> so we did that for a bunch. And then we ended up getting Shane um, in 2001, um, right before we were going to go on a tour with Converge. And that was, we were actually on tour when 9-11 happened. We were on our way to New York. That was a pretty crazy tour. Wow. <laughs> we were on our way to actual New York City that day. We were, uh, we were in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. We just hung out with the Esoteric and played a show with them, and it was great. And then we were going, uh, we were going to be in New York in a few days. And it was crazy. Like, Andrew's sister had worked just out, just there, and was, we didn't hear from her for a few days. He had no idea if she was alive or dead. Wow. Like, we were, and we are on tour playing shows and trying to, like, keep it together while the country's gone crazy. I mean, the first day driving across the country after it happened, it was weird. Like, there's no planes in the sky. There's nothing. It's just empty. No, I remember everything being strange. Everything was strange everywhere. Like, because everybody felt like the next shoe was about to drop, you know? Yeah, you didn't, I mean, it was, you didn't know what to say to anyone. Like, you go in to get gas and you're just like, hey. And they're like, hey. You know, there's that, you never have that, like, am I right? You know, (laughs) with just every stranger you meet. But that's what it was like that day. Like, we're driving across country. Like, normally we'd get those looks like, you know, what are these homos doing in our city? But not not then. I mean, there's much bigger things to worry about. (laughs) So... It was interesting. Um, and then we, you know, we got back and found out that his sister was okay. She'd actually came out of the World Trade Center Tower when the first plane hit. She was walking out. Oh, my God. She was right below <laughs> it. I mean, she still has issues from it. Right. I mean, she saw some stuff. And she told us about some of it just to, like, try to get it going and, you know, get through it. But, yeah, so that was a crazy trip, though. I mean, playing Converge, who had just done Jane Doe, it was like, I mean, Converge had been pretty popular, but this was, like, the moment they were becoming the band they are now. Yeah. I mean, before then, they'd kind of been that band that maybe you kind of liked one of their records. But now they were like, fuck, this is like, this is now one of the bands that we all are going to be paying attention to for as long as they decide to play music. Yep. And so that was quite a treat for us to learn, like, what it's like to be a band like that. And we were, we didn't go over super well on that tour. I mean, there's reviews of us (laughs) saying, like, well, at least they were loud. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, no. It's just, it it certainly wasn't our crowd. At one point, I grew a big mustache thinking, like, that would make up for us not having a singer. (laughs) (laughs) And I told the crowd that, and they didn't think it was funny. I guess it wasn't funny, but to me, it was funny. (laughs) But, yeah, we did that, and playing Enemy, we, I mean, it was weird. Like, I feel like Undertow was such a huge period of my life, but it was two U.S. tours, a handful of West Coast tours, and a European tour. A couple years. Yeah. And within, yeah, like between... How long were you in Playing Enemy? I was in Playing Enemy for six years, I think. Six years. Yeah. It's insane. But I mean, I probably, I mean, I only probably did like maybe one or two more US tours and I did another European tour, but I wasn't that much more touring, but it was, you know, it still feels like Undertow was a decade of my life and it was, yeah, two or three years. Adam Pacey brought me a cassette Mm -hmm. that you put out, one of your projects, Mm -hmm. in like 2000 three or 2004 or something. Okay. And he was like, Damien's releasing shit on cassette. <laughs> this one's covered in wax. That to, was my to first To open one. it, you have to break the wax. Yeah. I was completely unaware of people doing cassette stuff. Now there's a lot of it. Yeah. But you were at the, even if you weren't the first, I mean, you were a real early adopter to that, coming back to that cassette thing. Well, after, you know, after playing Enemy, uh, Shane and I decided to keep playing together and we did a band called Hemingway, which was mainly like, experimental noise stuff i mean at first it was just full-on just noise just straight up noise 
And then it got became more of a band and it became Great Falls. But within the noise scene, tapes never disappeared. They're okay. always making tapes. And, you know, batches of five to a hundred tapes was like not uncommon. And there's labels like American Tapes, which do these really elaborate, weird packagings where the tape is like floating in gel inside this weird bag. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just this weird, they, they really like, I think I became really attracted to what a fetish object they really are. Right. I mean, there's certainly like, it's not like, oh, the Fidelity's so much better on this. Like, no, no one thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a cool thing. It's a cool thing. And it's like a precious thing. You know, it, it's, it is. I mean, when you, when you really think about what it, like, it's, it's a little contraption with these reel of tape. It's just cool. And I don't know. I love it. And you can do so many interesting things with the packaging. It can look really nice if you do it normal. You can build stuff around it. You can, you know, cover it in racks or glue or whatever. Like, there's all these interesting things you can do when people walk up and they hold it and they just want to, like, touch it. You know, they just want to like hold them and shake them. They make sounds when you shake yeah. them. You know, there's like, yes, they're cool. They like, they definitely like, I think hit that little ape mind of ours in a way of like, it like has function and you have to like, even if you know, you have to like discern the function by opening it and touching it and moving it around. So I, I think there's something to be said for those. And they're, you know, they're like Fabergé eggs. Like they're, they break. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're beautiful, but they're, they're temporary. <laughs> but I certainly made a lot of tapes. I think my label um, has probably put out like, close to 100 things i'm doing that whole series of live ktl tapes right now steve o'malley's side project from sun so what is your label called it's called dead accents dead accents and you've been doing it since 2003 um 2000, somewhere around there 2004 2004 probably yeah and you're still doing great falls still which is what falls. hemingway became yeah we decided we started playing real songs we got like a drum machine and we started playing real songs and started playing shows with them and we were like you know this would be much easier if we just had a drummer instead of lugging like 100 pounds of equipment on stage so we got a drummer, this guy Phil, who used to play in Yezu, which is a guy from, you know, Godflesh's band. And we're like, well, he can play like a drum machine, so let's get him. <laughs> and he was great. He's turned out to be an awesome drummer. And we're doing that. We just uh, recorded a second record. It should be out any second. And then uh, recording, going down to Oakland, I think, to record again coming up. Nice. That's the plan. We'll see. We might just not. I've been, asked, that... I've been asked by Shane not to tell people that we're doing cool things unless we're actually officially actually doing them. <laughs> because then people start asking. Yeah, or then you've, you know, then you failed when you haven't done it. <laughs> yeah, I understand that because yeah. I always have a lot of crazy ideas and they're not, I can't get them to become real without first speaking about them, mm-hmm. but only a certain percentage of them ever go any further. So they all have to have been talked about at some point, but all the ones that got talked about that didn't happen are like, yeah. you never do anything you say. I know. <laughs> it's like I know. I get that from Shane sometimes. He was like, I, his name comes up a lot because I talk to him like five times a week, but sure. he's like, oh, you know. What, what are you really doing with your time or something like that? And it's like, fuck, dude, I do like a zillion things. And he knows he's just giving, he's just busting my balls. But. What are you doing with your time? Do you work? I work. I've what do you been, do? I've worked in a frame shop for 12 years I now. didn't know you were still in a frame shop. I am. I My job has sort of changed. We have recently bought a letterpress shop and I spend about half my time, if not a little more, just in the letterpress shop producing letterpress cards and stationery and it's super cool. What, I'm making business cards for Soto tomorrow. I'm uh for for Crown Car. <laughs> what do you know? Yeah. You bring up Crown Car, our sponsor. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So you're doing a business card for Crown Car. Yep. Um yeah, so doing the letter I teach uh I'm a I teach, I'm a teaching assistant, I should say, at the School of Visual Concepts in Seattle, which is a, like the premier design school, non accredited, of course, because fuck that shit. Um, <laughs> that's the that's the tagline for the school. So <laughs> is non accredited cause fuck that shit? <laughs> no. Oh. Um, it should be. I'll, I'll, so are you able to I'll talk about the branding press, letterpress stuff for the label? Yeah. Yeah. I'd have, I've done a lot of, uh, all the KTL things have been letterpressed. 
And you do, I mean, you've always done really cool artwork. I've tried. No, I'm not going to be able to find this and I hate it. It exists somewhere, but I feel like this one's out of my reach. But years ago, I told you about an idea that I had for a, this was a late night Kinko's crazy thing before Mm -hmm. I ever made a movie, before I ever did anything, um, about a superhero called The Taper. Yes, I remember the taper. The taper had tape rolls. Mm-hmm. This is what happens when you're packing records and stuff in the middle of the <laughs> night and shipping stuff out. He had tape rolls on his wrists and on his knees. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, his father had been a uh, like a scientist with like 3M, a company like 3M. And he developed this like super powerful <laughs> adhesive and they killed him for it. Right. <laughs> right. Because that's what yeah. happens. Um, but before... He, you know, he had made prototypes of the tape rolls and they were stored away. They had been delivered and they had been stored away secretly. So the the kid discovers the tape rolls and he creates this stupid suit. It's a little bit like stupid suit. It sounds great. Well, you drew the picture (laughs) of it, right? (laughs) So, well, the best part. Okay. So hold on. I'm just giving the background for what happened. So my idea was that the tape, he, there was also like a chemical that would make the tape the adhesive release and so he had that built into a suit and he could release it so if he taped your mouth shut and he didn't release it with the the chemical you you could die you could suffocate right and he could like literally like tape people up to poles and do all this stuff and you would hear him coming because he could using the tape he could like run up walls so you'd hear and that was the tape that was the cutter because the cutter had the chemical Mm -hmm. on it so i told you about this and you were like taper you mean like one of those big rodents (laughs) I'm like, no. <laughs> and so then next thing I know, you walk over and you've drawn a picture of the taper, like a cartoon picture of the taper. And it was like, just perfect. Like, I remember, <laughs> I remember, I think I told you like, no, the tape rolls are on the wrong side of his arms. So I think you put them on the top, but whatever. But um, from that moment, I have desperately wanted you to do <laughs> illustrations for me for one of my stupid stories. I know. I want to do one. <laughs> So I, I I do have this long term dream of some kind of a graphic novel or some kind of something, and I I will never be able to demand this amount of your time, <laughs> but where you you do the uh, the art for it, well, as you've done in the past, yeah, one drawing. <laughs> I'm in. I mean, that's I, I, that's basically signing it. Got to do it. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> the thing about it is, is that there have been very few people in my life. And these are very special in my life where when I say one of my crazy, stupid ideas, because usually they come and go like the taper wouldn't have stayed that I would have forgotten that I'd ever come up with that stupid idea if you hadn't drawn that picture. Right. So see, you facilitate, you kept it alive. Yeah. I took it out of the ether, laid it into this world. (laughs) All right. Cool. So we'll, we'll, we'll work on something. All right. And we're coming up on the end here. Okay. There's so many things we haven't talked about. Like how I ruined your movie. You didn't, or, you didn't ruin my movie. I did not do a good job. You got slashed in the face with a pen. You had me say my line like a hundred times. And finally, was like, you know what? Just don't say it. <laughs> I don't remember that. Is that true? You had a line that I cut? Yeah. I didn't even say it. I wasn't saying it at all right. It was, did you get some work? <laughs> That's what I was supposed to say to Aaron. It's <laughs> so dumb. You were probably, you were probably ruining it because you knew it would have made it worse. No. It would have made that movie worse. It would have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Damien plays a punk that gets slashed in the face with a pen by Aaron Edge in The Edge of Quarrel. Mm-hmm. Damien also plays a mad scientist with a clone baby in Matt Matsuoka's yeah. epic film For the Cash. Some like weird effeminate German scientist. <laughs> On his episode, he talks about, about you bringing that whole character their whole clot. Like that was, oh. that was all your creation. <laughs> that was your baby. It was my inner Werner Herzog, I think. <laughs> I'd probably just heard about him and I was like, oh, I know what I'll do. So, no, you didn't ruin anything, man. Come on. I know. Um, but, I just wanted you to say that. 
<laughs> I, yeah, we, there's probably there's gonna have to be another another episode with you. We've gone over a lot of the history and stuff, but I, I'm gonna bring people back in groups. I think at some point. Okay. Like what I'd love to do is get each of you individually and then have an undertow episode. That would be cool. It'd be hard to get Murph here. Yeah, but he comes out sometimes. His family's out here. Yeah. Like right down the street, actually. So some I would that would be fantastic because I have a feeling that the kind of stories that would come out with you guys sparking off each other mm-hmm. would be unreal. That would be very cool. So okay, so that's gotta happen too. I'm basically filling up your card okay. with things that you have to do. But um Anytime you want to talk, man, this is fun. This is gonna keep going. Okay. Since we talked about it, let's talk a little bit right here at the end about your ghost thing. My ghost thing. The thing that you were just saying. Like, we've talked about it a little bit, but let's go into it. You, you said that people... You explain it, because I don't really understand. I probably I, disagree with it. When I play, when I mentioned the pareidolia thing? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I don't, I, I don't know if I was, re- I was defining it correctly. <laughs> we don't even know if you said the word right. Yeah. Um, I've been, you know, I've been learning a lot about, you know, logical fallacies and <laughs> things like confirmation bias uh-huh. and arguing from ignorance and things like that um that's I'm not, I'm not a debater and i'm not someone who cares to debate people like i wouldn't want to debate someone who is very religious about the existence of god but i find a lot of those arguments to be arguments from ignorance like well i don't know what else this could be so this you know it's not like well, you know what created the universe i don't know well it must be god then if you don't know <laughs> like you know it's that you can't it doesn't work that way so when it comes to ghost stuff i think there's a lot of that too it's like becoming convinced by something there's no explanation for so this seems to fit well now where jake seemed to be a little bit more like no 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 no. <laughs> i think i have opened up like well maybe but i would still you've got more maybe than jake i definitely got more maybe part of it's like i think it would be rad i if there was oh, like so you want it more than he does i want it but what's I the just... weirdest thing you ever saw okay well let me go let me just preface this by saying i don't believe in ghosts <laughs> right that's fine. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in the supernatural and cryptozoology is not really my bag. That said, <laughs> my mom lives up on in the Indian Reservation in Marysville, Tulip Indian Reservation. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, before I met my wife, but after my girlfriend left me, <laughs> when was this? I can't remember. It was a Thanksgiving probably like in 2000 and three 2004 2005 somewhere in there before before i met my wife and i had been at my mom's house probably eating turkey and drinking beer doing all the non-straightive stuff i do these days <laughs> and it was pretty late and she lives you know far out on the reservation it's quite a drive to get back into marysville and then from there down to seattle so i'm driving the car, this car and i'm kind of cruising down through the uh through the windy reservation road and it's foggy it's cold and most of the reservation doesn't have any streetlights until you start getting towards the city, which I think maybe the city of Marysville puts these up. And there's this point where you start going over a few, you kind of go down this hill and you start going over these little creeks. And, you know, I'd be driving, listening to music or whatever, and the streetlights would go over my head, you know, peripherally, I'd kind of notice it in the in the skylight, and then I'd notice it kind of in the rearview mirror. And it's just sort of like a presence that kind of passes over. And at some point, like, one of the lights just sort of stops behind my car. And like seems to be keeping pace with my car. And I glance up in the rearview mirror and I see a person running behind my car. Like I'm going 45, 50 miles an hour and someone is running directly behind my car, staring right at me through the rearview mirror. And I think that's weird. And I just keep driving. 
And I look up again, person's still there. And for some reason, my mind is just like, well, that's strange. And I'm driving for another couple seconds, and I'm like, wait your, a minute. Your brain is denying it. I guess. In a way. Yeah. And I look up again, still there. Still. You looked three times. Three times. Still desperately staring at me through the rearview mirror. And then I kind of like close my eyes and sort of get, do like a, get it together, Damien. I look up and it's gone. So you, you woke yourself up. Something. Yeah. I'm, Did you fall asleep at the wheel? Very possibly. Trip the fan, man. <laughs> Body is full of it. <laughs> probably marijuana too. I was probably smoking a lot of pot at this time. So there was certainly. what the person look like? Because I had an image in my head. Like old timey. Like, uh, you know, I wouldn't say like Lewis and Clark, but you know, a few hundred years ago. So the situation that you just described to me, which you're now saying could easily have been either a hallucination or literally a dream, even mm -hmm. a waking dream, like I'm falling asleep or I fell asleep at the wheel and my body did this to, yeah, I mean, I've been my on, mind did this to wake up. I've driv driven on 12 hour drives on tour and had like bulldozers start appearing on the side of the roads where there's just bushes, you know, I had something crawl up over the hood. Like it was coming for me and woke up and realized that that was the, that was the nod. Like, I know what you're talking about, yeah. the, the, the seeing things that aren't mm -hmm. there, but if you looked three times, that's what makes it really strange. Well, I immediately call, pulled out my cell phone while driving and called a friend while driving, <laughs> the friend Tom Doherty and, uh, told him the entire story immediately. Yeah. And he was like, Whoa, that's really trippy. I go, I know. Right. He's like, yeah. It's like, all right, dude, well, I'll talk to you later. And I went home, completely forgot about it. Right. And six months later, he sends me an email that says, hey, your, your experience isn't so unusual. And I was like, what is he talking about? And he sends me this link to this like haunted Washington page. It lists all these places in Washington. I'm like, oh, looking at Ballard where I live in Seattle and, you know, just whatever. And I'm like, like looking at all these interesting like ghost stories or like, oh, apparently the Roosevelt Hotel is haunted or, right. you know, the fucking Ben and Jerry's is haunted in West Seattle or whatever. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking and I was like, oh, my mom was in Marysville. Look at Marysville. I look at Marysville and there is that story as told by someone else of the same thing happening. Ooh. And I'm like, whoa, that's fucking weird. And I asked my brothers and my brother's like, oh, the runner. You saw the runner. And this is like, <laughs> okay, I, I, you could see him, right? You could see the goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they were just like, yeah, we, we know about that. We grew up out here. We hear, they never saw it, but they're like, yeah, people talk about it all the time. Like someone's showing up in your back seat or running along the car, alongside the car, behind the car. Like, yeah, it's a common occurrence here. Listen, showing up in the back seat and running behind the car are two very different oh, things. Oh, they are very different things. One of them is like a, huh, that's outside the car. The other one is a, I'm driving this car into a pole. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> like, no. That's, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, that would be it for me. I'd be like, I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> wow. Yeah, okay. so, so it's certainly So what you're saying is for some reason, people that fall asleep at the wheel on that road have, a, have the similar dream. Possibly. I don't know. No matter what. There's no explanation for that. There's no way to test that, I think, is the issue. Is it? When I talked to Jake about this, do you remember I put out the idea of, of the mm -hmm. world recording in some yeah. way? That's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about, where people have a told... similar situation occur in a location. I feel like it's, it's playback. It's I, not a, a... I've told people since that it felt like a loop, like I was watching a loop, and I felt like it wasn't that someone was like pumping their legs and running behind the car so much as I was dragging them along with me. It wasn't that he was following the car. It was that you he was see, following that me. actually has a, the possibility of a scientific explanation. Maybe not science. We understand currently. <laughs> What's that? It's a do tell. Don't you think? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't it's know. It's almost answer. like it's holographic. Possibly. I, I, I don't want to speculate because, because that's what you don't like. It's not that I don't even like it. I, I'd like it. I mean, obviously I like talking about this stuff. I love telling that story. But That's an amazing story. It's weird, right? <laughs> but 
um, I don't, it just doesn't convince me. I've had friends, like I've been standing with two guys and one guy says to me and the other friend, I don't want to name any names <laughs> like, Oh, did you hear that? They found out that aspirin has like mind control substance in it. And my other friend's like, I believe it. I was like, don't believe it. <laughs> don't just say you believe it. <laughs> oh, why but, would you do that? But also one time someone else you knew said, did you know that when you say certain words on a telephone, Mm-hmm. that the government records yes. and everyone made brutal fun of that person. They did. And when I heard the story, I was like, ah, and then years later it came out that that was called echelon and it was totally real and it exists to this day. I know. That is really the only story I know of a person saying a crazy conspiracy thing that was confirmed. It's later. true. No, it's, it really, now, now it's echelon too. Now it involves cell phones and, and email. Mm-hmm. That's why I try to waste their, a ton of time by saying ridiculous shit on my phone. <laughs> But no, that, well, that's the thing. I mean, just because like something, just because I like my mom sends me other things like, oh, look, they found out this thing in the Bible was true. Guess the entire Bible is true. It's like, well, that's not the way it works. I mean, some, I mean, Led Zeppelin released a ton of songs and I don't like their band, but a couple of their songs are good. I mean, I hope they made a couple songs that are good. Yeah. You know, just just because something like it doesn't make the thing true just because there's some truth in there, you know, just you can. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not the like I said I'm not a debater and I'm not the person to talk about these things. I just it's it's a lot it's a lot to think about and it's serious stuff. Belief is very serious and I don't think it should be taken as, you know, lightly in those ways. Maybe I I probably do in some ways, I don't know. But when it comes to the supernatural and conspiracy theories, they're things that I generally want to believe, but I refuse to fully invest in them. Right. It's like 9/11 stuff. People are like, "Well, you can't explain this." Like, "Well, I can't because I'm not a fucking physicist and I'm not a structural engineer." But there are a bunch of guys who are and they seem to think there's not a big issue with it. So, you know what? I'm probably not going to spend a bunch of my energy on this right now. Or like, "Oh, Sandy Hook. I think that was probably a false flag." I'm like, "Why the fuck would you think that?" Like, "Oh, well, this guy was well, in the woods." Dave Mustaine said so. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. I don't know if Dave Mustaine. He he or, didn't say that. He yeah, said but, uh, the Sikh temple yeah, false flag. of course. They're, they're always a false flag. I, I actually had to block some people on it face, Facebook the other day after the shooting in Charleston. They're like, clearly another false flag, blah, blah. It's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with your guys' shit. It's fucking insanity. And it's insulting to the living and the dead. And it's yeah. just, I don't have any time for it anymore. I just, I have my kids. I got my wife. I got my bands. I got my friends. And I don't have any time and room for this fucking waste of time. And yeah, so, so angry. I get so angry. <laughs> I think that if a conspiracy fits your political position, it's not a very good one. <laughs> that's yeah, that's good. I like that. The ones I'm interested in are the ones that are either non-political or perhaps even run counter to your. To, the idea being that there's because there are conspiracies. Mm-hmm. There are. Yeah, we happen. learn about them a hundred years later, or we learn about them historically, or you know, or we won't know everything. Right. Some secrets will be kept. But even when maybe some should. Yeah. But the point is, though, like if every single time something tragic happens and the president opens his mouth, then you immediately say clearly a false flag. No, you're trying to you're making things fit your narrative. Yeah. You like the person who sits there and just guesses everything through a movie. Like, oh, I heard this movie has a twist. Oh, that guy's a robot. Uh, that that girl actually turns out to be two pairs of nunchucks. Like, I mean. <laughs> oh, that again. <laughs> like a uh was it it crowd i don't know if you saw watch that show, i never but. saw that one no <laughs> i've seen an episode of it that's good um yeah i mean even but here like when you have a conspiracy like echelon or gulf of tonkin or whatever like 
when those turn out to be true, it was still irrational to believe they were true before you found out they were true. Wait a minute. We don't have time for that. What you just said <laughs> at all. We're going to have to do it. Okay. You know what I'm going to have to do? You can edit this. I'm going to have to bring, we're going to have to have a conspiracy day too, okay. where I bring a total conspiracy nut, you and Jake and me. That's okay. a show. That's a good show. <laughs> but um, yeah, because wait a minute. You're saying that if you were right about a conspiracy, just you, you still shouldn't have believed it in the first just place. Just because you guessed correctly doesn't mean that your guess has any more validity than if you guessed that Ronald Reagan was a robot or something. I mean, I'm using very extreme examples, but... No, you're assuming that the, the conspiracy is believed because of a guess and not because of information that a person received. That's true. That's that's true. That just, wasn't but that information may have come from someone who guessed. Yeah, or, that, or you know, a lot of times I think this is a... What's the word I'm looking for? Like a... There's almost like a mob sort of mentality where like people start adopting ideas and, you know, they, some of them, some of them eventually will turn out to be correct. And I feel that if a conspiracy is, if there's no true evidence to support it that can be verified, then you have no reason to believe it's true until you can verify that evidence. Right. But you know how stuff like this happens though? Like, so I was working at this place called Terrabeam mm -hmm. and we were working on these laser communication devices that would track on each other. And they had tracking systems that, that were pretty advanced stuff, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm out in a test range with this engineer that works there. And he's telling me something, you know, back however long ago, we, we used to work on a version of this software to, to track the Russian satellites, mm -hmm. you know? And he was a kind of fun guy, right? And I said, oh, is that how you shoot him down? And he just turned and gave me this icy look and was like, I don't think we talk about stuff like that. <laughs> And then went back to what we were doing and never went, I'm joking, dude, or did anything like that. It was this, the room got a little colder yeah. for a second. It's like, you are in dangerous territory. Shut your mouth. <laughs> and never, never again, like, was like, did he yeah. get you? No, it was like, too close. Don't. Yeah. And this is the, the whole point is this guy had, had talked about, this is what we used to do from what, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, a guy like me could definitely take that into conspiracy land and I it's didn't true. cut it from whole cloth. Yeah. It came from I mean you could you can make some inference. I'm sure. mm -hmm. <laughs> I I guess to me it's a slippery there is a slippery slope idea that if you start like taking some things in, then you gotta start taking other things in. Right. And... You you're greasing the pathway for whatever else whack yeah. jobs wanna you know, and then all of a sudden you're on info wars. Yeah. It's just I, I guess I have uh I'm a little biased because of family members who are very conspiracy theory minded. Mm -hmm. I hear a lot of like, oh, did you know Michael Jackson's still alive? They have a video of him getting out of his car. It's like, no, they don't. Or like, <laughs> oh, do you know they cured cancer? It's just blueberries and cottage cheese and that'll cure cancer. I was like, no, it won't. Like, <laughs> and But you get, Tupac is definitely alive. Yeah. And you get probably sure. <laughs> I'd be if I was him. I'd prefer to be that than him. <laughs> yeah. So it's... uh. I, I, I'm a little sensitive about about or maybe not sensitive. Just I have a little knee jerk reaction to conspiracy because I have I get so tired having to filter through some of it. It just my my brothers they went on this like crazy thing about like straw men and your birth certificate and your social security number and how it's really an account number. And if you just stop paying your bills, you're not liable because it's the straw man who's liable for these things. It's this that's sovereign citizen talk. Freeman talk yeah and it's not real and it's a really bad reading of the law and then they get into like we're all our own banks we yeah. can write checks that we're, 
that the, based you know, on our the account that the government's been using to trade. The problem our, is those guys kill people sometimes. I know, and see, it's dangerous. That's what I mean. Like <laughs> believing false things can be very dangerous sometimes. Or like they stop paying their bills and they get in tons of trouble, and then they think they're persecuted, but really they're just stupid. <laughs> and you know, there's little code words that those guys use that you can catch. Now, this is she definitely has a political point of view, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I talked earlier about listening to lots lots of right wing talk radio and Rush Limbaugh. I also liked stuff like uh, like Keith Olbermann and and Rachel Maddow, and mm-hmm. I still listen, I still watch Rachel's show. And when the Clive and Bundy thing was going down with the rancher and the the feds there that they were pointing the guns at, she was analyzing some of the statements that he made to the media and pulling lines that he was saying straight out of the sovereign citizen talking points, basically. And it was just they were just peppered into normal speech. If someone is versed in that world and that language Mm -hmm. it just comes out when they start talking and explaining what they believe so he never was identified as being part of the sovereign citizen movement but if you look at the stuff he said straight up yeah it's unfortunate (laughs) didn't didn't, uh mark or didn't uh ted cruz just meet with him the other day clive and bundy i don't know if ted cruz did but i know that uh rand paul met with him privately for 45 minutes 45 minutes of someone that important of their time. And Clive and Bundy said that they spoke. He educated Rand Paul at length about states rights. Oh, Rand Paul. Sometimes he's no, no, <laughs> no. Okay. Shut me down. <laughs> I, I hear things occasionally from the libertarians perspective. The Pauls. Like, yeah. That I'm are, like, have, been a, have uh, been a problem. Yeah. Even, no, when, even when everyone wanted to get behind them, when everyone was hoping they would be what kind of Bernie Sanders is, is being like now. Well, you, th- you feel like you're getting this like populist sort of right. Thing, but, but you can't if you can't be Ron Paul and run and hide from the things that were written in your name in your newsletter. Mm-hmm. There's no one else's name on it. He said other people wrote it. Well, he was selling it as if it was his writing. Right. So he's screwing people over one side or the other. Are these not your words? The kind of racist shit that was coming out around the time of the riots in L.A., you have to own that or not. You can't just say I'm running for president now and that doesn't fly to the, the major, you know, for the yeah. for the populace. So I have to pretend that it wasn't my position. Mm-hmm. You say I have learned. It's not what I believe now. I was wrong then. Yeah, that works. But this this weird sort of mm, people are trying to say I said stuff, but I didn't really say. It. Well, here are your words, sir. Yeah. Uh, I didn't write that. You can't prove I wrote that. What, what do you mean? I can't. Yeah. Your name's on it. Yeah. You <laughs> sold it. People sent in subscription money to receive this from you in the mail. So that's, I mean, that's yeah. not Rand Paul. That's Ron Paul. I would say that you probably shouldn't have the sins of the father visited upon the son, but the son shouldn't probably visit the sins of the father <laughs> upon himself by meeting with guys like Clive and Bundy for 45 minutes. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I'm not cutting this part out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just warn people. It goes long. How long is this? Well, I don't, I, over three hours. Oh, my God. That's so <laughs> long. No one's going to want to listen to this. <laughs> I'm not cutting into two parts. Oh, my God. You cut into seven parts. That's so long. <laughs> okay. We could do this. We're going to have you on another show because you and I, I know from the way we're sitting right here looking at each other, we could do this for another two or three hours. Yes. And there's so much stuff we didn't talk about. I know. And it's good because there's a lot of people that didn't get thrown under the bus. But um, <laughs> I really, I just want to say thank you so much for coming out here and doing this. I haven't seen you face to face for a long time. And it's always really enjoyable when I do. 
It is wonderful. All right, thanks for coming out, brother. Hey, thank you. Hey, well, look, if you've come this far and you're listening to this part right now, you've put in a lot of time on this, so I'm not going to take up a lot of your time right here. I'm going to do two quick correction sections areas, and then we're basically done. Um, I asked if the actor Adam Baldwin was the guy who started the Yes All Men hashtag, and he was not. He actually was the guy who originated the Gamergate hashtag. So if you know about that, that's Adam Baldwin from Firefly, the guy Damon was talking about. As for Book Your Own Fucking Life, which was the resource for touring and booking shows and record stores and all that that we talked about, I said I wasn't sure if it would have been available in time for that Undertow tour. It actually was started in 1992, so it could very well have been the first issue of Book Your Own Fucking Life that was used to book that Undertow Spark Marker tour in the summer of 1993. Um, excellent. Okay, so that's it for me. I'm going to go. We're going to get this thing in actually under three hours. Uh, go to nobody'snose.com. Check out all the podcasts. Look at some of the articles that are getting put up. Uh, like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and send us an email. Do it all. Get involved. All right. Thanks. Bye. podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the record Artifacts, Demos, and Debris. 